I guess that must have alarmed you, turning up like if that. If you touch me, I'll more than alarm you. That won't be necessary. Your report, very detailed. Just for me, it wasn't very entertaining. It wasn't meant to be. When I write about people, I try to entertain the reader. Venestrom wasn't entertained much. Uh, your boss, Romansky, now he tells me you only do jobs that interest you, so I suppose I should be flattered. You gonna sit down? He also says that you're the one he goes to when the job is um, sensitive. That's the word he used. Sensitive. I'm going to use illegal, because that's what it was when you hacked into my computer. And I'm not going to do anything about that. I could, but I won't. What I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you a story, and if it entertains you, maybe you'll decide to help me research further. And if not, I'll do the washing up, and you'll never see me again. You know, you should eat that. What kind of research? Elizabeth. Oh, can I call you Elizabeth? I want you to help me catch a killer of women. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? My fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 208 The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I feel like it's been a long time coming for this one. I think it's been on an earlier list, but there is a reason why we're doing this episode. Listener request. That's right. Number 10, courtesy of longtime friend of the show and listener Brian. We, of course, are talking about the 2011 version, the American version, directed by David Fincher. And this was a big one in our lives. It's crazy right. to think that at the end of this year, it'll have been a decade. I can remember you buying magazines when this was in production <laughs> and like showing uh, the, the pictures from it. W magazine cover shoot. That's with right. Rooney done up in all of the. It was the reveal of the Elizabeth Salander look. Yeah. Yeah. And this is something that we'll get into as we go. But there was certainly a significant obsession with Rooney Mara coming off of the social network. We're probably the only people in the world that would see a character that's in a movie for five seconds and be like obsessed with obsessed her. Yeah. In love. It's that opening <laughs> scene from Social Network and just how she like shoots him down later. Anyway, let's remind our listeners to follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. Give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We're loving all of the engagement, I would say. It's at an all time high. Yeah, it's nice to know there's a little growing community of ass clowns out there. That's right. I'm seeing some references to the ass clown community. So the big announcement for this week is we are reissuing. Well, no, we're not reissuing. A new it's, issue. We're, we're a new version of the famous Greatest Moments stickers. That's right. Have arrived. Yes, I would say a better quality this time with the new branding. 
It's still limited edition. <laughs> they will run out, but I don't know. Whoever wants one can get a hold of us. Yes. So if you're interested in a free sticker, it is free. That's right. No Patreon page. Just follow the show on Twitter. I'll give you that follow back. That's right. And you can DM your address, your shipping address and name and everything, and we'll send you a sticker for free. Yes. Now, you'll know where I live after that. Anything about the sticker really tells new listeners where they might find it. That's why it's for the people that know. (laughs) It's sort of a secret club type of sticker. Absolutely. There's no advertising other than our name. All of our shows are secret shows. It doesn't really let people know that this is something that they could find somewhere. It's just a name, but it's a cool sticker. Definitely. Matt put together. And I I was hoping that some people would be interested with all the, the new listeners to the show. Certainly the people that we know, I think we're mildly interested in the old sticker, but I feel like, you know, there's some opportunities here. Plus, I wanted to reward people that are reviewing the show, getting engaged, reaching out. I mean, I don't know if a sticker's a big reward, but hey, it's a collector's item. Yes. So if you are interested in a free sticker, let us know. We'll probably mention it on the next couple of episodes as well. That's right. Tweet us pictures of where you're putting the sticker. (laughs) (laughs) That could go awry. Oh, boy. The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo was a big movie for us. I'd say so. Actually, before you get too far into it, a a memorable theater experience for me. We saw it together with two girls, which is always uncomfortable when there's two... Was it just us two? I think in Arian and Pearl. Yeah, but no... Oh, maybe Belle was with us. (laughs) We went to that theater in Robinson. Right. Where we used to always see movies. (laughs) cutting all this out. (laughs) (laughs) But it's always just uncomfortable viewing experience in the theater when there's two quasi-violent rape scenes. I don't think there were anything quasi about it. <laughs> okay, there <laughs> we go. pretty violent. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it was a wild screening. I think going into the movie, everybody knew that it was going to get pretty intense. crazy yeah. and intense. But those were the days that seemed like a million years ago where it was the opening day for the movie and there was a ton of people there. Oh, I know. Something that nobody can experience right now in 2020. But even if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic, it still seems like these days were... It's been on a noticeable decline, I would say. For an R-rated movie. Now, there was obviously a following for the book and everything, and that built into the hype and the Swedish versions of the films and all of that. So it was kind of like an R-rated Hunger Games or something, but... yeah. Hard R. Definitely. Definitely a hard R. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk a little bit about that theater experience as we oh, go. Because yeah. I can remember some of the things that happened. <laughs> I mean, they hit you with that just graphic rape scene pretty early. Yeah. It's a tone setter. <laughs> I guess if if I'm being completely forthright, there are certain films and things that we probably will never do oh. on this podcast. Wow. That's a revelation. We will probably never cover something like Schindler's List. Oh, sure. Or 12 Years a Slave. Or something super grim. So bleak. And it's very real, based in reality, based on true stories. And so there's not really a lot of room for our bullshit. Not a lot of laughs. (laughs) Yeah. I don't necessarily limit ourselves to just being a comedic show, but we like to make jokes and have fun with these movies. So there are certain topics that are a little heavy. Usually I'm picking the uh, bleak subject matter episodes. It's kind of a moving scale, though, because 
yes, we will cover things like do the right thing and stuff that are politically important and touch on social issues or about social issues. But we'll also do the Stone Age. So there's some gray area, but <laughs> the girl with the dragon tattoo pushes the limit as to what sort of fun we can have with a movie. It gets into some really dark stuff and I don't know, I guess it's like a case by case basis on whether or not we think we can get through it That's true. in the right way. There's even the main mystery story of the plot. There's like so much darkness around what you don't see. Yeah, there's some graphic pictures that get flashed from various case files for these violent crimes and the descriptions of them. I almost was tempted to write out each of the Bible verses that are referenced in the film. Oh, wow. And then I was like, I I don't know. Seems a bit much. It's such a bummer that (laughs) I think we should probably leave some of the brutal murders that aren't actually happening in the movie. Yeah, there's enough bummer in what we do see. The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo was directed by David Fincher, screenplay by Steve Zalian, Oscar winner for Schindler's List. Oh. Based on the 2005 novel by Stieg Larsson. Larsson famously passed away in 2004 before any of this trilogy was released, which yeah, is crazy. Wild. But it did have so much buzz in that like 05 to 2010 era, I feel like. You just were constantly hearing it referenced by people. And really, in this version of the material, how much does the dragon tattoo really factor into it? Uh, zero. <laughs> you barely see the tattoo. Right. No one refers to her as that girl with the dragon tattoo. You almost sort of forget she even has it because you barely see it. Well, yeah, and she doesn't really feel like the main character for a good percentage of the movie. There was a 2009 Swedish adaptation starring Numi Rapace and Michael Nyquist, directed by Niels Arden Oppler. I think both of us had seen that version a long time ago. I don't yeah. particularly remember it. Kind of same. I certainly remember watching it on Netflix. I can vaguely remember trying to give the second and third ones a try, but I don't think I finished them. You know, it was just around a time period where I was giving it a shot. Yeah, my memories of it were of it not being as good as this version. I don't really think there's that many directors in the world that can equal Fincher. Oh, I know. And just every aspect of this version feels more professional and better. And I love Numi Rapace. I think I'm part of that very strong Prometheus but small crew. contingency of people that stand Prometheus and refuse to even acknowledge that there are people that trash talk it constantly. <laughs> And yet, I just think Rooney's performance is stronger. This will lead into a whole thing, and I don't really know if we have time to get into it all, but... It is such a wild transformation going from where we, you know, last saw her in her social network performance to this insane hairdo, the piercings, ultimate badass. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of people out there who sort of judge acting by things that are not necessarily what, to me, matter the most. Sometimes you will have people who do an impression or an imitation of somebody win an Academy Award, like Jamie Foxx for Ray. And when you nail the voice and the mannerisms, people assume that that's great acting. And and it can be, and it is a part of acting. But for the people that nitpick Rooney's accent in this movie and say it doesn't really sound Swedish 
and that it sounds more Russian or something like that, whatever. I don't necessarily think that doing voices and imitations of things is all acting really is. And I would use like a great example of Anthony Hopkins in the 1994 film Nixon, where everybody and their brother could do a Nixon impression. (laughs) You could do that voice, you know, I'm not a crook and the whole thing. And Hopkins does not really bring that at all to the movie. And he had sort of a crisis in confidence while filming the, the movie where he's like, I'm not right for this. He's not doing the voice. He's not really doing a Nixon impression. And I think a lot of people had a hard time with it. But when you actually examine the movie and what they're drawing out in the, in the character and he finds this loneliness and isolation and constant feelings of betrayal, he's like discovering something more like the humanity of the, the character of Richard Nixon. And so I, I would say that Rooney's inability yeah. to mimic a Swedish accent is sort of irrelevant if you actually peel away the superficial layers of acting. And I think she finds this... That's right. I guess you would say autistic character... Yeah. In a way that I, I have to say, I don't really see with the Numi Rupes performance. She almost comes off as sort of rude at times, which is something completely different than what I think the character is supposed to be. That's the thing. I mean, instead of expecting something to be a replica of what you want it to be, I mean, that's when it can come off as like a caricature. And you want it to feel like this human performance. Yeah, I think that regardless of the voice, she's finding the humanity in Lisbeth Salander and she is like the perfect manifestation on screen for the character that I read in the novel and I did read all three of these books around the time this movie came out shocking update for the listeners I did not I don't really remember them all that well but I just remember thinking like yes she's sort of captured what I would envision for this character and you could point to Daniel Craig, her co-star, and just be like, well, you could just not really do an accent. Yeah. But that seems sort of ridiculous, especially since, like, Robin Wright is doing one. Right. (laughs) I enjoy the Daniel Craig performance in this movie, too. He's, like, this sleek, good-looking guy, but also kind of this dope at the same time. I feel like he pulls it off well. Yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is I loved Rooney's performance. She was nominated for an Oscar. Deservedly so. I think that was the biggest spotlight on this movie, especially amongst people who were fans of the original Swedish film or the book, as they always are. I I think that's only actually worsened over the years where fans of things get so wrapped up in the casting that they think that their opinions really matter. Oh, no. And it gets super annoying. Yeah, how sad for those people thinking their opinions matter. And they bully... (laughs) <laughs> people that are cast in Fifty oh, Shades of Grey. And so you're just so like, what the stupid, fuck is yeah. going on? <laughs> so the build-up to this movie was pretty crazy. Fincher was coming off of the social network from the yeah. prior year. I sort of consider the social network as the start of Fincher 2.0. Right. Now, aesthetically, you probably could include Zodiac in that, but he made the Benjamin Button thing in between, so it sort of breaks it up in a weird way. But everything from the social network forward seems to have like the same... Cinematography. Feel to it, yeah. Yeah. There's this like cold, sterile aesthetic, exacting standards, like so meticulous in detail to how it looks and sounds and feels. Frequently using Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross for the scores. Yeah. Which, by the way, the the trailer leading up to this movie, when that, they first had that trailer with Karen O doing the Immigrant Song right. cover, it was like unbelievable. 
how could you not be excited for this movie? Yeah, one of the all-time great and memorable trailers for sure. It just really stoked the fire in terms of anticipation. And I would say a couple times a decade, maybe more in the past. It just depends, I guess, on what you're interested in. There are these films that sort of dominate all discussion and all anticipation. I feel like this got a huge amount of pre-release buzz and coverage. I don't know that the box office necessarily lived up to all of that, but that's often the case. Yeah, <laughs> there are a million movies throughout history that seem like they're a big deal, then they come and go. And oh yeah, this wasn't necessarily one of those, but you know what no, I mean. It's hard th- to live up to. Yeah, for sure. And I think I felt that way initially. Like I definitely enjoyed the movie, but it, I, I felt like it left me longing for more. And it's I've almost enjoyed it more as the years have have gone on. See, I was all in right away. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this was the year that I went to a hundred movies in the theater. Oof, I feel like you saw a lot of duds. And that there year. were so many terrible movies that year <laughs> that the things that were good really stood out to me. So it was like this, Drive, Melancholia. <laughs> oh wow, yeah. I don't know. It's hard to remember. 2011. A lot of dark movies that year. The budget for this film was $90 million. The box office worldwide was $232.6 million. Sounds like a hit. Which on the surface is a moderate hit for sure. But as we were discussing before we started recording... As we often do. I, I tend to believe that the budget was probably a little bit more. When you once you start getting past, you know, that sixty, seventy, eighty million range, you can kinda always automatically tack on a little bit more. Yeah. So then when you do that, I'm and then sure you they had the marketing and everything. Big expectations for this, just with how much buzz was around it. And uh, yeah, I'm sure they spent a decent amount of money trying to push it. I think realistically it probably needed another hundred million for there to be a, a strong consideration for more of these movies. Because Fincher, Mara, Craig, I think we're all game to continue this. But Fincher does have his standards, which we referenced. And I think he would have probably wanted to spend at least as much, if not more, on the sequels. And that just really wasn't going to happen for how much interest there was in the initial film. Which is a shame, because quite frequently still, when I, I look up people discussing this film or new reviews people write on IMDb or letterboxed or whatever people still bring up like man i wish there was more of this yeah i know it would have been cool it seems like they were really making some changes to what they were going to do with the content too i read some stuff that the second movie or the script that they had in mind was kind of peeling off from what the story of the book was a little bit Well, that makes sense because the second and third books are not really that interesting and i don't know if they would have made great films i remember that being your feedback at the time when you read them As it is, though, we're left with this standalone movie. I don't really connect the recent film, The Girl in the Spider's Web, starring Claire Foy as like being related to this at all. So this is a standalone That actually feels like a caricature of this movie. Yeah, I think we'll talk about that maybe a little bit later. But first, let's talk about the overall reception. So five Academy Award nominations, Best Actress for Rooney... Best Cinematography, Best Sound Editing, Best Sound Mixing, and it won for Best Film Editing, which is a pretty prestigious Oscar to win as your only one. And the fact that there weren't 
it's so crazy because yeah. this was like the height of them nominating like 10 movies. I can't believe this didn't get nominated. I think I, that's one of the picture. things that I do have more appreciation for, like the more watches I have. Such a craft, this whole movie, like the score, the eerie feeling, the look, it all just kind of is put together perfectly. So you can see why it would get an award like that. Yeah, I think when they gave this to Steve Zalian to come up with the screenplay and write the film, it took like six months. They needed to figure out what to trim from the novel. They needed to figure out what the tone and the direction of the movie is. I think him and Fincher met a couple of times and they realized they were on the same page. So things went pretty smoothly. But from top to bottom, I think everything they did was right for this movie. The casting, the script, the look of it. And it just, it's crazy to me that it, it sort of just was ignored for best picture and stuff like that. But I, don't I know, know every episode we get into this, but yeah, I, looking road. back, I mean, it, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to revisit what my list of favorite movies was that year. I know this was on it, but I don't know where it landed. It probably was in my top. It, I would definitely say it had to be in my top five. Yeah. And I think even amongst Fincher fans, it's sort of one that people take for granted. I think they like it, but maybe the fact that it, it kind doesn't of like, get anywhere near as much love as Social Network sure. or even Gone Girl. There is this unfinished feeling to it, like it was supposed to be part of a trilogy. Yes, I, I think it kind of works in a unique way that it, it that it is just the first book and this is it to the story, and it kind of makes the ending a little bit funnier. <laughs> kind of, you're just like, okay, yeah, it just like peters out. I don't know. It it, it kind of makes it cool too. As mentioned in 2018. There was a, another film based on the Elizabeth Salander character, although it was a novel that was not written by Stieg Larsson. The Girl in the Spider's Web, we saw that in the theater. Saw it, sucked. Yeah, I believe that it sucked, but I honestly don't remember anything about it. I know, not that is a the single thing. thing. Yeah. Just, I remember the overall plot being like the dumbest thing ever. This is where this is about the girl with the dragon tattoo. She's like an action hero at this point. Yeah, she's sort of like a female James Bond or something. Right, and like fighting with her, I don't know, adopted sister or, yeah, half sister or something. Yeah, now that you're saying that. Oi. Yeah. (laughs) Oof. So the girl with the dragon tattoo ends up feeling like sort of a police procedural on steroids. It's two hours and 40 minutes. There's a five act structure as opposed to the. Typical three-act. And the main point of it, and I think this was the same for the novel itself, the film and the novel tackle misogyny across time, both under the veil of time itself, spanning decades into the past, and also with a very visceral shotgun blast of it to the face (laughs) in the actual events of the film. And the original Swedish title of the book was, and I think the film too, was men who hate women. Yeah. And there were a lot of statistics thrown in there about men killing women in Sweden. I I think Larson saw this as a little bit of like an undiagnosed issue, and he was bringing more attention to it through this crazy story. Yeah. Well, I would definitely say it's a theme that's not lost on you as you watch this. So let's jump into it. As we go, we'll probably circle back and and pick out some different things to break up the plot, which is very long. So there might be some more information coming your way as we go. But let's just say now that, and I think this applies to every episode of the show, and if you have listened to the show before, you should already know this. But 
since this is a very detail-oriented mystery with a lot of different twists and characters being a certain way and then being somebody else, you know, different stuff happening, I would say that as far as spoilers go, we may not go necessarily in order. Some things might get revealed before they're revealed in the film. I think it's just probably as important as ever to be like, if you have any interest at all in this movie, I would say just watch it first before you listen to us talk about it. Yeah, shut this off. <laughs> Go get stars or something or buy the Blu-ray. Well, I think people know that and understand that, but it's important to just remind maybe new listeners. I think listeners. there's some times where it's just worth seeing the movie before listening to us talk about it. I don't think that's always the case. I would say this is it's certainly the case for this movie. Yeah, I don't know that there's going to necessarily be a lot of listeners tracking down Black Mama, White Mama <laughs> before. Yeah, our listening. Women in Prison series, not necessarily must-watch movies. So there's a little bit of a cold open. We meet Henrik Vanger, played by Christopher Plummer. Yeah, such an ominous opening, because he's just like getting this present or whatever, or opening this package, and it's just this framed, what, like plant? Yeah, they're little flowers or, or different kinds of plants. I don't know if they're all supposed to be native to Sweden or, or what the deal is. Sure. But it's a yearly package. It's pretty quick. He calls the police investigator guy who is used to this by now after 40 years. And then that's it. It, it launches into the opening credits. We have Immigrant Song, the, that's the right. Led Zeppelin song, covered by Reznor and Ross featuring Karen O from the Yeah, Yeahs pretty memorable opening sequence it has like a cyberpunk feel to it yeah done in this like black liquid i think it was it kind of reminds to... me of like a james bond opening too yeah i think it was supposed to represent different parts of the trilogy there's different things that happen to this black ink version of lisbeth but some of it is just supposed to be like what her nightmares would be like okay sort of a crazy kind of like my nightmares too opening in stockholm we meet disgraced journalist Mikhail Blomquist, played by Daniel Craig. Yeah, you get the sense that he plays some cards without thinking things through at times. He's recovering from the legal and professional fallout of a libel suit brought against him by businessman Hans-Erik Vennerstrom, and this whole thing has turned into a major career setback. You we never will really find get... out more details as we go yeah. along. I don't think you get the full picture of what is actually being accused here, though. Do you? In the, at least Specifically, not, the uh, not really. The ultimate reveal, though, will be that Venerstrom purposefully right. set up yeah. Blomquist with fake stuff that he could easily disprove. I think to throw him off and to wreck his credibility, probably because he was afraid of a real investigation. What is Millennium Magazine? <laughs> what do they cover? <laughs> Sweden. Yeah. I love the idea that they're like in danger of folding within the context of this movie. And it's like, we'll just give it a year anyway. Yeah, no right. Buys magazines. That's right. You need to get on an app. This legal situation, though, jeopardizes the news magazine he co-runs with his business partner and married lover, Erica Berger, played by oh, yeah. Robin Wright. Extramarital affairs also kind of a theme in this movie. So I think we learn from a piece of dialogue from Lisbeth later a little bit about what this situation actually is because it's kind of confusing in the context. It seems of the like movie. they're to get like it seems like they're together in the public eye. Doesn't it feel that way? Yes, they they have an open relationship. Her husband knows about it. Doesn't care. She spends time with her husband. She spends time with Mikhail. But it wrecked 
Mikhail's marriage, and yeah. so now he's divorced. I don't know that we get from the movie that her husband is just a willing participant, do we? Not explicitly, but implicitly when Lisbeth says so, it didn't wreck hers, and then later in the movie she calls her husband to say she's not coming home. That's like what she's okay, doing. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's not abundantly clear if you don't read the book what right. exactly is going on. It's not like a major thing, but... It I is odd, it's, though. It's setting up the template that they have like this relationship that's very open and easygoing in a way that most people would not be able to deal with <laughs> or understand. Right. Which will affect people in the film even more than just the people that were in these people's lives beforehand. Like, sure. Not just their spouses, but it comes into play in this movie, too. Like, their sort of easygoing, carefree attitude towards love and sex. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> Between Mikhail and Erica. There's a brief appearance here, and then there will be another one at the end of the film of Joel Kinnaman. Not exactly Tom Cruise or, like, the biggest yeah. movie star ever, but kind of jarring person. now. And he's essentially like an extra in the film. And so if you're watching this now for the first time, yeah. you might think like, oh, maybe he was just not famous yet. No, people knew who he was. It was an intentional move because this character was supposed to factor into the sequel. Wasn't he on the uh, AMC, The Killing, by this point? Yeah, I think that started in 2009. Yeah. So yeah, he was a known person. He was going to be in the future films he appears in this movie as a favor to Fincher. It's hard for me now because it's just his performance in Suicide Squad not great for me. Oh, yeah, I don't really really think he's like that great of an actor. Okay, thank but you. But that's just <laughs> you know. No, I know, but yeah, it is it's weird seeing him now. I I didn't really notice at the time. Meanwhile, as Mikhail's life is crumbling, Lisbeth Salander, played by Rooney Mara, she's a young investigator and hacker. She has compiled an extremely extensive background check on Mikhail for the uber-wealthy Henrik Wenger, who we met at the beginning of the film. Background check, I mean, it's actually just like every detail about your life. Matt mentioned a little bit of Lisbeth's style at the beginning of the episode. She's got this, I hate to use the word again, but almost like a cyberpunk or just straight-up punk exterior a lot of piercings. All the piercings were real. Wears I think like leather jackets. Rooney did an interview where she said she was keeping the nipple piercing. Wow. In case they did do new movies, she didn't want to get that pierced again. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I understand that. I thought she was just like, just because I'm a badass. Well. That too. She might have taken it out by now. I think probably, yeah. There isn't going to be any more. It's possible we could wait forever. You called her and spoke to her, didn't you? I'm afraid that doesn't mean much. No one here particularly likes her. I find it's much better if she works from home. But you told her I wanted to meet with her. But I've told her many more times I prefer her not to meet clients. You like her? Very much. She's one of the best investigators I have, as you saw from her report. But I'm concerned you won't like her. She's different. Uh, in what way? In every way. Miss Salander is here. Elizabeth, Mr. Dirk Broder. How do you do?
Something wrong with the report? Oh, it was quite thorough. But I'm also interested in what's not in it. There's nothing not in it. Your opinion of him isn't. I'm not paid to give my opinion. So you don't have one? He's clean, in my opinion. Uh, you mean he's hygienic? He's who he presents himself to be. In his business, that's an asset. Well, there's less in his asset column after his conviction today. True. He made a fool of himself, if it happened that way. Are you suggesting that he was set up? That was never part of my assignment. But you're right. He did make a fool of himself professionally. How much of a fool did he make of himself financially? The judgment was just about empty his savings. May I go? Moment. Your report is light in another area. His personal life. Anything you chose not to disclose? Nothing that warranted inclusion. Does that mean yes or no? I think what Miss Salander means, and I agree, is that everyone has a right to a certain amount of privacy, even if they're being investigated. Not in this case. I need to know if there's anything about him I might find unsavory, even if she doesn't. He's had a long-standing sexual relationship with his co-editor of the magazine. It wrecked his marriage, but not hers. Sometimes he performed... Not often enough, in my opinion. No, you're right not to include that. I know. Elizabeth has this antisocial demeanor. Her behavior is kind of odd. There's definitely a fire burning there. She's definitely on the spectrum. I don't know how you would categorize that necessarily. But there's also an intense amount of knowledge. She's brilliant. She has like oh, a yeah. photographic memory. The way that she navigates computers. This like insane hacker. Quick. Yeah. But there's a turbulent, violent past that's only really hinted at in this movie. And then she does reveal some of it to Mikhail late in the film. Yeah, kind of casually, actually. But her violent past factors so much more into the follow-up novels. Yeah. And I don't know if they were just waiting to reveal more of it, if they were going to bring her father in as a character, which is what happens in the, the second and third books. Yeah. But well, she's not, she's certainly not afraid to beat some ass, but she's also, I, I mean, she's willing to go as far as murder by the end of the movie. Like, can I kill him? Elizabeth's home life is very reminiscent of mine, just <laughs> smoking cigs, sipping cans of Coke. <laughs> Computer screens always alive. There's That's right. a, a lot of McDonald's Happy Meals. Always in the a mix. glow from like a television screen, but like nothing on. <laughs> no, I don't smoke, people. <laughs> <laughs> you have the same kind of nightlife as her. For whatever reason, she seems very interested in what's really going on with Venerstrom. I guess in this most recent rewatching, I took it to be that her investigation into Mikhail's life has yeah. made her interested in him. And right, that's what it's will like almost later. like she starts like rooting for him. Yeah, she's so aloof and closed off emotionally that it's hard to really get a read on why she does the things that she does, and you just sort of have to put it together with clues as to what happens later. It's like, oh, well, I guess she's sort of been into this dude for a while now. Yeah. But you don't really know that that's why she's interested in Venerstrom all of a sudden. It's almost like, well, Venerstrom fucked with her man in a way. You right, know, right. She's never yeah. met Mikhail Yeah, you get yet. it. <laughs> I mean, how many times have you gotten invested in someone who... Some drama. ...knows know about, <laughs> doesn't know who you are? Every day. Yeah. 
And so very early in the film, Lisbeth starts taking the initial steps to electronically surveil Venerstrom. And again, as a viewer, you're sort of just left wondering what the fuck is going on. She's breaking into his apartment building, taking pictures of things, setting up stuff. This is a hobby for her, really. Her goal is unclear at this point. We go back to Blomquist. There's some sort of a sad commiseration party. We meet his oddly religious daughter, (laughs) who doesn't look like she would be Daniel Craig's daughter. Yeah, very limited time with the fam, but always weird when we do have it. We never meet the mother, though, his ex-wife. Who else is in this? Isn't there another woman in this scene? Erica's there. Okay. All right. Oh, his sister. Oh, his sister, who's also his lawyer, right? Yeah. I, don't, I mean, we, she has like two lines. Yeah, I yeah. I don't really know what that has to do with anything. They just sort of threw her in there. Mikhail gets a call from Henrik Vanger's man, Froda, <laughs> I think is how you say it. His right-hand man, his handler, his bag man. He wants to set up a meeting between Mikhail and Henrik face-to-face up north in Hedestad, although the reason for the meeting is sort of left up in the air at this point. But the idea is Mikhail has to sort of take a step back out of the public eye or else he will sink Millennium's credibility completely because he can't really be that associated with it now that he's essentially convicted of libel. Yeah, I mean, I guess this all kind of makes sense, but you are like, wait, why is Henrik picking this dude? I mean, I, I get that they kind of explain it, but I don't know. It seems like there were... Other private investigator options? Well, you might be underselling Mikhail's profile in Sweden. Well, okay. At yeah. this point. I think he's like a well-known investigative journalist. That's right. Okay. And Fair. for whatever reason... Now he's down on his luck, so there's an opportunity here. Yeah, he's going to have this time to do it. I guess the assumption would be that Henrik was like previously a fan, and now there's like a little bit of an opening. It's like when somebody gets cut from a football team for doing something that's frowned upon by society, and all of a sudden there's a good player available for cheap. And I do think that there's an implication that Henrik knows all along that Venerstrom is this shady dude. Right. And so he naturally sides with Mikhail. So they go up to the land of the ice and snow. Yeah, there is this awesome sweeping shot which I, as they approach the house, yes. which I think was used in the trailer. The snowy, icy aesthetic at the beginning of this film is what you think about the entire time. And it really wasn't until re-watching it for this podcast that I realized how much time goes by. Oh, sure. Even though at the end of the movie, Elizabeth says, it's Christmas again, meaning an entire year <laughs> oh, has right. gone by. Yes, I mean, we were, Lindsay and I were watching this, and I was like, oh, another Christmas movie. But it's Christmas at the beginning of the movie. Right, right. And I never really realized that, like, yeah, there's long stretches of this movie where there's no snow anywhere, and everything looks spring or summer-esque and so an entire year goes by but the way that it's edited doesn't feel like that and so the fact that this one for best film editing is not surprising because it is reminiscent much shorter scale of time but to raging bull which oh sure as when we did that episode i said it was considered one of the best edited films of all time it takes place over like a long period of time 15 20 years and it's all still a coherent story sure yeah and yeah this is told as if it's all happening in a couple of weeks yet when you really look at it it's like a ton of time is passing right which i guess makes sense for how much actually happens yeah and the connections between the characters growing as strongly as they do and all this different stuff
inside. It's warm. How do you do? So, what do you know about me? Well, you used to run one of the largest industrial firms in the country. Used to. That's correct. Well, I, I didn't mean the rest. No. My grandfather forged the tracks that the 430 train would take you home on. We stitched this country together. We made the steel, milled the lumber that built modern Sweden. And what do you think our most profitable product now is? Fertilizer. <laughs> oh, I'm not obsessed by the declining health of the company, but I am with the settling of accounts. And the clock is ticking. I need your help. I'm, I'm doing, doing what? Officially assisting with my memoirs. But what you really be doing is solving a mystery by doing what you do so well. Your recent uh, legal mishap notwithstanding. You will be investigating thieves, misers, bullies, the most detestable collection of people that you will ever meet. My family. Blomquist arrives, he meets Henrik. Henrik offers him evidence against Vennerstrom in exchange for an unusual task. He wants Mikhail to investigate the 40-year-old disappearance and presumed murder yeah. of Henrik's grandniece, Harriet. There is some like really strong acting in this movie and like limited scenes. I, I love their back and forth here. And who is it? Christopher Plummer that's playing yeah. this role of Henrik. I, I love when he's just like, he just keeps cutting off Daniel Craig and is just like, all right, and I'll offer you this, even though you're a terrible negotiator. <laughs> the only other person I saw mentioned to play Henrik was Max von Sydow. Oh, yeah. Who himself is Swedish. I don't think Christopher Plummer is. <laughs> I know he isn't. And I have to say that Plummer brings like this strange, suave yeah. charisma, this swagger to the character that makes it humorous. I agree. And there's a lot of fun in his interactions with Mikhail and, and the way that he likes to tell this story and set everything up in his way. There's this air it's, of It's drama. almost got like, like this noir feel to it. Yeah, for sure. And he describes his own family as a bunch of Nazis, <laughs> wife beaters, drunks. It is funny, like just the ongoing jokes about how the family is with each other. Oh, yeah. He tells Mikhail... Someone in the family murdered Harriet and for the past 40 years has been trying to drive me insane. And so when he does this whole spiel about what happened on that day, who Harriet's parents were, you know, her father Gottfried, her brother Martin, who we'll meet later, and he recounts the events on that day, September 24th, 1966, and he sets everything up. There are actually clues everywhere. At this point, you wouldn't know, but when yeah. you go back and you know what happens, he's... The way they set this up, too, it is kind of like when you go back to the past, it, it does feel just like a different time. Like, it... it <laughs> I just mean, like... Literally, the definition, definition of, of a the different past, time. What a I'm trying to say is time. the aftermath of these events, what they're showing here... I mean, the whole... This compound that this family lives on just seems, like, run down, but, like, in the past, it was, like, this vibrant fun is in the air type feel yeah i think it'll be martin vanger who will explain that later 
the decline of Vanger Industries started on that day in September of 66 because Henrik lost his entrepreneurial drive, his spirit. And the reason is, because you might think like, okay, grandniece, it's a sad and traumatic day, but it sort of seems like a distant relation. Like, what are we talking about here? But Harriet was sort of like the golden child of the family in Henrik's mind. I think he had ambitions for her to take over the company. Yeah, he had to settle he, for Martin. He ends up being close to the ki- the children, Harriet and Martin, because of he hates everyone else in the family. Their family's problems. Right. He ends up having to take them in because that's true. He is sort of an acting father figure to them. Their father died, and their mother is a severe alcoholic. So they had to move across the island to the big house. This island is just this family that lives there, right? Yeah. Harriet was 16 in 1966, which, by the way, and this will be the first instance of, like, sort of spoiling things a little bit in advance. When we find out the truth about Harriet, there is some problems with the age. It, it doesn't make any sense. I'll just say that, and we'll get to that later. It just what, what year is this supposed to be taking place? Well, based on the technology that they're using oh, right. and everything, yeah. I would assume modern day like current time and so 40 years after this disappearance henrik has become an old man full of regrets (laughs) reliving that last day why he didn't take the time to talk to her she came into the parlor she asked if she could talk to me i honestly don't remember what i was doing that i thought was more important but i told her to give me a few minutes It was during those few minutes that something else occurred. The accident happened. Nothing to do with Harriet. And yet everything. (laughs) It was chaos as everybody put down what they were doing. Police, ambulance, fire brigade, reporters, photographers, onlookers all quickly arrived from town. Just as we on the island, the family, hurried to the bridge from our side. The driver of the car, a man named Oronson, was pinned and severely injured. We tried desperately to pry him loose with our hands, since metal tools might spark. It was an hour after the crash that Harriet was in the kitchen. Anna herself saw her. Well, we finally got poor Oronson out of his car off to the hospital, just as we from our side slowly drifted back to the house. The sun was down, the excitement over. We sat down to dinner. It was then that I noticed Harriet wasn't there. And she wasn't there the next morning, or the next, or the next 40 years. What was she going to tell me? Why didn't I make time for her? Why didn't I listen? And she couldn't have just run away? No, not without being seen. The fireman stayed out all night on the bridge, pumping up gasoline. No one swam across or took a boat. All the boats were still tied up on this side Sunday. Believe me, I checked. She couldn't have just fallen and drowned? No, no, the currents aren't strong here. Anything that falls in the water turns up nearby. Like her father. His body didn't drift more than 10 meters when he drowned the year before. Oh no, someone killed her. Someone on the island that day. Someone close enough to know 
what she used to give me each year on my birthday. Those are from her. The rest from her killer. Two thousand six now, I guess, but that doesn't even seem to the technology doesn't even seem to make sense. Yeah, I know. I mean, there's stuff in there that definitely did not exist in two thousand six. Well, he was estimating. Okay, yeah, about every forty years since this happened, or it's it's been about forty years. And so once it's set up, there's like the fun contained mystery because you have an island, you have the suspects all residing on the island because of the story that. Henrik tells about the car accident on the bridge and no boats being missing. It seems contained enough that you would somehow be able to solve it. Yeah. It wasn't like she went for a drive somewhere and disappeared or she was at some bar that was crowded or a motel somewhere in the middle. You know, it's contained. There's the chances of a passing by serial killer out of nowhere, that just is random, doesn't seem to make any sense. What makes it a great mystery, because you are just like, the suspects are so limited. Yep. I don't know, Henrik doesn't really seem to suspect anybody from the family. No, he yeah, he does. He he d- clearly thinks it's someone in the family. Okay, okay, yeah. They're just not specific. He doesn't right. have a specific suspect. The capper to the whole thing, because Mikhail is like, alright, I gotta get the fuck out of here on this 430 train. I can't be stuck up here <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. tundra. But he gets hooked into the story, and then the final element really is Henrik taking him up to the attic or up to that room with the frame, all the framed pictures, pictures of the flowers of the plants. And on the one side are the sixteen that he got. Although I mean, did she really give it to him when she was a baby? I don't know. But the side that he got while Harriet was alive, yeah, right. and so he thinks these are the ones I got from Harriet. And then the other side, which would be forty or forty plus. Are from her killer. Or from her killer. That's what he thinks. I love what this sets up with this Mikkel just being a man out of his element. He just seems like used to a semi-bougie life. I mean, I know he's a magazine writer, but okay, high-profile investigative journalist. Starting to stay at this house like the first night he can't even figure out how to start the fire. Yeah. I think the attraction for him is that he was going to need to step away from the magazine, and this allows him a place to hide from the public scrutiny of his failures and so he's given this little cabin by the lake or whatever to live in and it's freezing cold (laughs) because it's the middle of winter in a place that seems awful to live in right it's like his own little private adventure going on i i think that this would be a fun thing to get to do sure i would too although we were just talking about it in what was it last episode vertigo where i was like i wouldn't even know like where to start <laughs> like the first step i'd I, be like i don't know what to do now i 100 percent think we have like a future in either like probably more private investigators i don't know that we want to spend time like writing about anything we might you might want to yeah ultimately mikhail agrees to investigate harriet's disappearance slash murder and moves into a cottage on the vanger family estate on Hedestead island quickly 
forms a relationship with this cat. I was reminded of Inside Lewin Davis. Okay. Mikel is the cat. <laughs> His decision to do this drives a minor wedge between him and Erica because she doesn't want him to leave. She's going to be marooned on this yeah. island of trying to save this magazine while he disappears to go do this. I mean, she is definitely super supportive of him. I mean, I know that he's going off to to do this, but he has to be the one that's basically like, no, you're firing me because it's what's best for the magazine. I don't have any credibility left. She really stands by him. So Mikhail moves into this freezing little cottage. All of Henrik's files pertaining to this investigation are dragged over there. There's a ton of wind and snow. But as he's preparing to make a home up north, there is a traumatic change and upheaval in Lisbeth's life as her state-appointed guardian, Holger, suffers a stroke. This is one of the things that gets sacrificed from that transition from novel to film. Yeah. Her relationship with Holger is super sweet. It's like the one positive thing she has in her life. You can sort of see that in the movie. Sure, yeah. You have to make it up on your own a little bit. but You don't have like an omniscient narrator explaining this all to you to be like how much this means to her. And you can sort of see she, she's buying him a gift. She's like happy to go see him. Yeah, I think it does hit a little bit. The fact that they circle back to him at the end of the movie, the fact that she's going back to this guy after, you know, he's catatonic for how long. And it's important to her to like tell him that she has this good thing in her life. So I think you can kind of put it together, but it's certainly not hit on like you're describing. There is genuine love there. And she's sort of left in this position where she doesn't know what to do. We'll get to her situation more as we go, but she is in her 20s, but she does have a state-appointed guardian for various legal reasons. A ward of the state. Mikhail settles in. He enters a sordid, tangled web of Vanger family members, all living in close proximity on this island, although most not speaking to each other for various reasons. None too pleased to have him there. Almost no one is welcoming. And one of the joys, which we touched on, is the perverse pleasure Henrik seems to get every time he mentions how terrible his family is. (laughs) It's weird because he is basically saying one of these monsters killed a 16-year-old girl 40 years ago and has kept this dark secret. But he's always sort of laughing when he's like, yes, they're detestable. (laughs) (laughs) Do you get the sense that like this whole family has been like riding his coattails? he was the reason why this family rose to prominence? Or do you think that this is a family that came from money before him? I think that the Vanger Industries existed before him. Because I think at one point, Frodo says that it was like 160 years. Oh, Henrik's not that old? (laughs) Hard to tell. He was one of the titans of the family. I think Martin, to a certain extent, has done a reasonable job. But yeah, there's a lot of dead weight that's just living off the fat of the land which is one of the reasons why the company has lost its prominence in Sweden over time. As viewers, we are treated to flashbacks to that fateful day and night in 1966. They're interwoven throughout the film at various points. When Henrik is first explaining what happened, we see a lot of it. You can understand why this story would drive you insane, like if you're Henrik, because how could this happen? It seems like a small window of time. It's this island that they live on. You're never finding a body. You can see why this would drive you nuts. Yeah, because at some point, 
over that 40 years, regardless of what that detective guy says, you would think, well, why can't we just dig up this whole island? What else are we doing? I know. <laughs> Let's just dig the whole thing up. Really? <laughs> Mikhail meets with that original detective who worked the case, Detective Morell. He also interviews various family members on the island. Some this were guy. Nazi sympathizers during World War II. Oh, yeah. The detective guy, that's Master Lewin from yes. Game of Thrones. All of the Vanger family, with the exception of Henrik, seem skeptical and suspicious. They don't like an outsider on their island poking around. Well, what's to like? So the two main things that come out of the initial investigation, the early days, are the parade that happened in town off of the island that preceded these events, which Harriet attended with some friends from school. There is a picture of her standing on the side of the street during the parade where she looks afraid at something she's seeing on the other side of the street. And also a list of names and numbers in Harriet's diary. This diary has been gone over exhaustively by the original detectives and everyone else they don't really know what this can't figure out a connection. There's a couple means. that seem like they might relate somehow, but and Detective Morell also mentions how there was an older detective when he was young who had something that was called his the Rebecca, Rebecca case. case, and every cop has a Rebecca case, and of course somehow this will all tie in with that. Oh yeah, which right. Is kind of ridiculous. Yes, yes. But okay. Basically, it's an unsolved case that haunts a policeman for his entire career and he's never able to close it yeah usually something horrific that just sticks with them and something you'd want to solve desperately and just can't back in stockholm holger is replaced in lisbeth's life by a man named niles bierman yeah just a despicable man really bierman is now Salander's state appointed guardian it's clear right away that at best this is going to be a very contentious relationship. There is a threat of institutionalization hanging over her if she doesn't walk the line, and yeah. it's a very different arrangement. Although she's not really doing a, a great job of... Because she does live like somewhat of a double life, because she's definitely doing things that are illegal. I don't know that this job that she's doing with the background check is on the up and up. No, some of the hacking and stuff, yeah, is definitely illegal. It's like on The Sopranos where it's, you know, you got to show legitimate income. And she's not really doing a great job of that. Well, she works for that company. That's what he sees. But I thought on the thing it says, like, you work there part-time. And she's like, yeah, I get coffee. I know that obviously she's doing the background check stuff, but she must have a lot more money than what she's able to show, right? I don't think so. No? Because the state-appointed guardian would see her... Bank account? Yeah. She just picks cases that she wants to do, so it doesn't seem like she works all the time. All right. I was thinking there's a stack of cash under that mattress, but... Not yet. No. It's very reminiscent of Britney Spears and (laughs) sort of the crazy stuff that's been going on with her for, I don't know, what, like 10 or 15 years at this point, where she's basically uh, has a state appointed guardian, even though she's older than I am. Yeah. (laughs) The the threat of institutionalization Always. always hanging over. Yeah. Sad. I guess. Yeah. I could probably use one, though. You know, put some limitations on my spending. Mikhail meets Martin Vanger, Harriet's brother and operational head of the Vanger Empire. Martin is played by Stellan Skarsgård. So this was something I feel like we talked about, like, right after seeing it. As things go on and the list of suspects remains very small and you don't really meet that many people in general... I don't really think it's a huge shock 
as to yeah. how this plays out. You're kind of like, it has to be this guy. Or at the very least, you know he's heavily involved. And he's why the, would he do this part? Not only is it the recognizable actor, he's also like the only one that's being nice to Yeah, Miguel. which is sort of a, a, a red flag. Right. He seems very open to the idea of Mikhail being on the island. It's almost even implied a little bit that he knows the true story because Mikhail living on this island, spending time with Henrik, doing all these different things, is under the cover of writing Henrik's memoirs. Yes. The idea of him investigating Harriet's death or disappearance is supposed to be a secret, but I would say that it's flirted with that yeah. he comes Martin out. Knows. Martin comes out and says to him, you need to focus on this event in your book. Yeah, and we'll find out right why because he probably is just as obsessed with yes, yes. Henrik as to know it. Which I actually think happened. that part is kind of a big reveal once you finally get there. Mikhail has dinner with him at his house, and it's weird. Every time I watch this movie, I have a different Dude, feeling about this. This is, I think, such a great moment in this movie that I so did not pick up on this this is when he gets picked up by the girl and brings him up right yeah another extramarital affair by the way i love this chick just like yeah <laughs> sneaking away to like have these weekends with this dude yeah so while they're having dinner there's this sound that comes in and it kind of sounds like the wind and martin just is like oh there must be something open and he like disappears oh to yeah like close some door or something. i mean the first time i, I saw this no thought from me this, no just casually, yeah, okay. And like I said, way. I think every time I watch it, my interpretation changes. Because sometimes when I watch it, when you hear the noise without like thinking about it, just a natural gut reaction, I'm like, it sounds like someone screaming. But then other times, even knowing the truth, I'm like, it sounds like the wind. It's weird. Yeah. Every time I watch it, it just it hits me differently. Well, it's funny, like, and I know they don't want to give it away, but the subtitle says it's, yes. oh, it's the wind. But yeah, it is. It's amazing. And then, like, you go back because he does focus on what's actually happening. He calls it out basically without saying as much. But when you think of it as a scream, you're like kind of watching his reaction to it and the way he kind of scurries off. But he does play it off casually very well. I found him at Dad's door, halfway up the hill. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm a little out of shape. It's a climb for anyone. I should have warned you. Henrik says great things about you. Mm. No, no. Martin, it smells wonderful. What are we drinking? What a place. Look at that view. I used to work in the company's petrochemical division in Gothenburg. When it was sold, I went with it. No dark day. I live in Hong Kong now, but I come back to Stockholm for family events. And when I do, I drive up to spend a couple of days with Martin. It's just the moose day she wants. You can blame her, it's wonderful. Something's left open. Do you like this wine? Or you want to try something else? Oh, no, no, it's, it's fine. You're, you're writing a book now, Martin said. Henry's biography. I love Henry. He's fascinating. Martin, too. Together they are the old Sweden and the new. Yes, they are. You know about Harriet, right? You do? Yes, I do. The family doesn't want to talk about it, but it can't just be swept under the rug. What can't? Harriet. Well, we can talk about it later. Uh, we can talk about it now. Liv knows everything about my crazy family. That's why she'll never marry me. That's one reason. Well, I don't want to read about that in the book. Mm. Everything else is fine. Harriet, certainly. No, 
Everything changed after that. Not just the family, but the company as well. How so? We're not Ericsson or Nordea, but we're still the largest family-owned company in the country. At our height, we had 40,000 employees. We have about half of that now, and that downward slide began after my sister's death. It broke Henrik's entrepreneurial spirit. And his heart. Oh, you were here that day, yes? I came in a little later after the accident on the bridge with a 4.30 train. Mm, well. I mean, a terrible day. <sighs> the days after. Searching, not finding, even worse. This event makeup, it has to have a big part in your book. Score. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> I just think that I, I think that's like such a great moment in the movie. No, no, it is. I'm just bracing for everyone for. What's oh, okay. Coming. So I've decided, in the interest of keeping things together and not having to jump back into this stuff, I'm going to do things slightly out of order and just keep this all as one big segment right now. Okay. The whole thing, all of it, every part of it. This is something that in 2011 was controversial and hard to deal with. This is a hard R for sure. I can't even imagine if this movie came out now how people would react to this. It's truly burn the theater. (laughs) It's intense. Oh, it is. Yeah. During a lot of it, you could definitely hear a pin drop in the theater where people are sort of of not knowing what to do. I feel like I've sort of settled into being able to like take it. It was so intense in the theater. Yeah. My memory is not that great anymore. I can't really remember if I read the book before this movie came out. I think I might have. So I was pretty sure I knew all of these beats. But boy, is this horrifying, though. Bjurman turns out to be a sadistic monster who controls Lisbeth's finances and then extorts sexual favors when she requests money. We see a brief scene of her laptop getting damaged by a would-be mugger. She needs to buy a new computer. That means she has to ask for money, even though it's her money that she's earned. It's a truly humiliating circumstance for any adult to have to ask somebody for their own money to buy something. Although I can kind of see the beauty in it, too. I do think that there are situations where it is required for some people, but I do think that because of the subject matter of the books and the film, the idea is that she was abused by her terrible father, she exacts her revenge, and then is sort of forced into this life where she's forever like a child where they're yes. controlling everything that she does and the injustice of that. Right. And obviously she's highly capable, albeit a little deranged at times, but she's very capable of living her own life and managing everything for herself. So, I mean, it has to be just humiliating. Well, at a certain point, if she commits a crime, then she should be treated just like any adult. That's like, right. She'll either get caught or she won't. She'll either stand trial or she won't. Hanging this thing on her that happened when she was 12 forever seems cruel and unusual. It's just this extended thing that will never end. Yeah. So with the threat of institutionalization hanging over her head, she's forced to give Bjorman a blowjob for this money for the new laptop. The way that this scene is shot is very effective because when he comes to the other side of the desk, he's chilling. so enormous. He's like looming over her. Just a giant gut (laughs) yeah not ashamed 
So the idea is like she has to unzip his pants and blow him and the whole thing. And his word choice in this scene, it's it's hard to even describe. It's like, <laughs> because he's using like this sort of manipulative way of talking leading up to it where he's like, you need to learn to be sociable. We could start with that now. And he's sort of equating this idea of an exchange of sexual favors for yeah. money as something that is normal in society and that normal people should do, which of course, it's not like she's buying it, but that sort of manipulative yeah. way of talking where then it turns to just straight up sadistic psychopath Here, where he says, hand. I like the reticence. Oh yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. It is chilling. This guy, not a good one. And the score is very intense in this scene. And you have that constant sound of that guy buffing the floors. Oh, right. Which yeah. is just like this droning dread going on yeah. over it as this happens. And it's pretty graphic. I'd say so. They definitely push even a scene like this in terms of what you can get away with in an R rating. Because, I mean, you don't see any nudity really, but her face is in his crotch. It's, oh, it's yeah. definitely moving. Oof. And it's shot from a couple of different angles. Yeah, it's a tough watch. So in response to this, Lisbeth decides that she will secretly record one of their meetings, presumably yeah. to use that video That's as counter leverage against Bierman. It's a good plan. Her problem here is she underestimated just how much of a psychopath he really is. Yeah, and she makes a crucial mistake. Not victim blaming, but... Please, let's be clear about that. Yeah, I would say that if you know that this person is capable of these types of things, you would never want to go to their house, no. their home. I would expect it to be like Martin's basement. Yes. Some sort of room like that. Or Again, the from 50 not, not victim blaming, but that is something you would, as advice, I would say you would never want to end up in, in their home. Let's just say in no hindsight, it feels like a bad decision. So that's where the next meeting occurs. Elizabeth is expecting another blowjob situation, but she has greatly underestimated Bierman's depravity. When he distracts her, he handcuffs her, then he chokes her out, and then ties her face down on his bed. Yeah, and this is just where things were getting downright really tough to watch and just awkward and uncomfortable in the theater. Bierman rips her clothes off and then brutally, oh, yeah. anally rapes her. And like even like the lead up to the actual event, like she's just like shrieking like frantically. There's nowhere to go. I mean, she's completely cuffed to this bed. It's intense. It's almost on par with something like out of irreversible. Irreversible, yeah. And yet this is like a mainstream movie that made 240 million worldwide. That is wild, yeah. You do wonder, I I mean, I don't know, would it have done a little bit better with a little bit more mainstream appeal? You had to think that had to be some of the talk around this movie after the initial viewings. Boy, there's some stuff in here that's pretty hard to stomach. Well, I think they were counting on a huge portion of the film's audience to be people who had read the novel. And I think when that's the case, they are assuming that those people would know and expect these scenes to happen. Now, could they have shot them a little differently? Tamed it down a little bit? Sure, but maybe they gave Fincher final cut. I'm not really sure exactly what the scenario was. They wanted a top-notch director. This is what he wanted to do with it. Oh, yeah. Listen, I think he executes on what he was going for. He wants the audience to be uncomfortable and sickened by this. Yeah. So he's going the most extreme way to do it. But it can be a hard sell to the greater mainstream audience. It's a very intense thing for the people involved to have to film, obviously. I know the the guy that plays 
Bjorman was saying that he like I mean as an actor I feel like in his hotel room for like a day yeah. afterwards. I mean as an actor that feels like it would be such a tough role to play. And even in the context of the film, Bjorman is dazed afterward. Oh yeah. Like he can't believe what he just did. He's like it clearly got so far out shook. of control. And even like the next time that she sees him, he can't live with this. Battered and bruised, Elizabeth is sent on her way. I was reading that the bruises you see on Rooney's body in the shower after this are mostly real from the scene, which is so disturbing. Yeah, Because the makeup person was like mad at first thinking that they showed up and they're like, you already have this makeup. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) And they're like, no, this is real. They're like, you went somewhere else for this? (laughs) However, much to Bierman's surprise, Elizabeth returns to his home sooner than would be expected seemingly willing to play ball on his fucked up terms again well i don't know his guard is definitely down now i don't know it seems like he well this time she shows up unannounced right the other time he was expecting her that's true and also yeah i do think that not to give a a rapist any credit but i do think that he is like guilty now oh yeah and he doesn't and it it almost seems like the conversation that he's leading into it well i mean he says like you know i feel bad about the way things went before and like maybe he's just gonna give her the money and she says me too and then tases oh yeah right (laughs) oh yeah he hits the ground like so hard well did he just not cerebral hemorrhage here elizabeth tases him strips him and then binds him to the bed but like on the floor so that his arms are tied to the post but he's on the floor she then anally rapes him with a large metallic dildo by the way this oof sounds that are hard to hear (laughs) I, I, I mean, but doesn't this kind of seem like this could kill someone, what she does? Yeah, the way that she just, like, kicks that oh. thing in there. <laughs> it makes my whole body just, like, shrivel up. Oh, it's rough. Yeah. At this point, I, I, people are, like, getting up and leaving. Yeah, yeah. The <laughs> Actually, no, I don't think anyone did. But, yeah, it's a lot where you're just like, jeez, what is this movie? Yeah, you're Jesus like, holy Christ. shit. What is this? I spit on your grave? Right. It feels like some exploitation movie that you're just not expecting but she actually gets to have her original plan play out here because what wasn't revealed before was that she had this video camera in this backpack and filmed the whole horrific event from before i mean she was expecting it to be a lot more tame than that but she knew what was going to happen to some degree You recognize this? I had it with me last time. I said it here, remember? And this snap, you see it? It's not a snap. It's a wide-angle fiber optics lens. I thought it was going to be another blowjob, which is disgusting enough. But I misjudged just how sick you are. (laughs) Okay, here's what's going to happen. (laughs) 
Look at me. Once you can sit again, which could be a while, I admit, we're going to go to my bank and tell them that I alone have access to my money. No. After that, you will never contact me again. Each month, you will prepare a report of a meeting we will never have. In it, you'll describe how well I'm doing, how sociable I'm becoming. Then, you will negotiate with the court to have my declaration of incompetence lifted. If you fail, this video will spread across the internet like a virus. No. And if anything should happen to me, if I get run over by a car, if you run me over with a car, this will upload automatically. Not that you understand. Ooh, Gabardine. I'm taking the keys to this apartment because I'll be checking on you. And if I find the girl in here with you, whether she came of her own free will or not. <laughs> no, not a video. <laughs> I'll kill you. Do you doubt anything I've said? Do you doubt what's in the reports that have followed me around all my life? What do they say? If you had to sum it up, they say I'm insane. No, it's okay. You can nod, because it's true. I am insane. Nod. <laughs> I know it's going to be hard for you to abide by my rules. The abstinence part most of all. So I'm going to make it easier for you. <laughs> Lie still. I've never done this before. And there will be blood. I want this to be the end of Bjurman for our episode and for our purposes. I think he does make like another appearance, but we'll just tie it up here by saying using that secret recording she made, she blackmails him into securing her independence and having no further contact with her. And then as like the piece de resistance, she tattoos on his torso, I am a rapist pig in huge letters. Which seems painful. Not only does it seem painful, it's not like she's taking any real precautions. I feel like that thing's going to be infected. Oh, I know. That's true. It's going to be like a yeah. horrible disaster. And his life is essentially ruined at that point because we know that she's a hacker. She's monitoring him. Later in the film, she does warn him to stop looking at tattoo removal Oh, sites. yeah. So he can't even get rid Imagine of it. trying to get that removed. I feel like it'd be worth whatever pain it is, but it's I It's almost mean, out of, like, Bellflower. Oh, yeah. Remember that whole right. thing? It's I do, like, yeah. That was a Matt pick. And, of course, he deserves it, but a non-consensual tattoo is just like, oh, God. Yeah, that is a just a <laughs> horrible thought. And so that frames her character for the rest of the film because most of that is interwoven into, like... You're still within yeah. the first hour of the movie, and that stuff's all getting like woven and, into it. And, and like, she Jesus has this, that's the thing. There's like this feeling of her having these prisons around her and stuff, and this is sort of her like taking her freedom. I do remember feeling like after the first time I saw the movie and us talking about it later, I felt like I liked the movie a lot more once the two 
main characters come together, but uh, probably a big part of that was just how uncomfortable some of this stuff in the first half is. Mikhail flies to London to meet Harriet's cousin, Anita, played by Jolie Richardson. That's right. She is distant from the family, estranged, essentially does not have any contact with the Vangers. She provides some recollections, some general sadness of those times. She got away when she was 18 and never looked back. You are kind of surprised that, like, I don't know, like a Martin or something hasn't tried to track Anita down, or he just leaves it alone. She does mention Harriet's unusual interest in the Bible at that time, which mirrors Mikhail's daughter, and so that will sort of set up the reveal coming shortly. Erica arrives at Hedestad Island for a visit, much to Mikhail's surprise. Kind of just feels like an odd scene, out of place. Henrik and Martin make a pitch to invest in Mikhail and Erica's magazine, Millennium, which is in dire straits at that point. Yeah, it is one of the moments where you're like, okay, so what's going on with this Erica's husband? Because she is just coming up here to stay the night. I guess you could always be like, well, I'm traveling for business. That's what your excuse is. That's right. Yeah. Henrik points out the enemies of my enemies are my friends. Or no, that's not what he says. The enemies of my friends are my enemies. Does that make sense? (laughs) I think that's what he says, but I don't think it makes sense based on what he's saying. Shouldn't it be the other way around? Both of them are the same thing, but the way he says it is the less common way, I think. But wouldn't that way of saying it imply that he's already friends with Erica? Yes. But they weren't. He's talking about Venerstrom, not Erica. No, the enemies of my... Well, who's the friend then? Mikhail and Erica. Yeah, I know, but they're not really his friends. Right, but he's the reason he's saying it is okay. not because of Erica. He's saying it right on TV. Yeah, yeah. I think during that interview, is he not? Or was it before the interview on TV? I thought it was before the interview, but it's he's hard to He's talking about Venerstrom. It's a weird uh, business venture in the middle of this all. And obviously, it's all tied in, but you are just like, okay, so now Vanger Industries is going to financially back Millennium. Well, yeah, the timing of this move raises eyebrows, notably from Venerstrom, who starts freaking out, which we see through Lisbeth's constant monitoring of Venerstrom's emails and computer screens. Right, like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Still unclear why Elizabeth is doing this yet. It all seems to make sense when you look back on the movie, because you're like, okay, well, Lisbeth and Mikhail work together, they have this thing together, they know each other. But at this point, it's like, they've never really met her continued connection to that case seems right. tenuous yeah, I but i guess you just sort of have to leap to the idea that she developed a crush on him or something mikhail not venerstrom yeah yeah okay so some of this stuff as far as like the the details of the investigation and the mystery and the clues and all this stuff we're gonna have to like breeze through it again i would just recommend seeing the movie yourself i don't really? know if you can really explain how all this there is sense. like a lot packed into this movie even though the scope of it feels limited at times. Like, you're on this island. There's not a lot of suspects to the the murder mystery, but there is just, like, so much that happens in the overall story. Well, I think part of that is that in order to solve something from that long ago, it takes a lot of luck and it takes a lot of almost forensic anthropology to, like, dig up this stuff right, and yeah. figure it all out and connect it because it's not like the crime scene is there or anywhere. The island's not a crime scene. Yeah, actually and like it's all not of- after forty years there's nothing to there's no physical evidence anywhere. Right. In fact I I kind of like the element of it that he basically has to go to a retired home to like find out 
details around like who the carpenters were at the time period. Mikhail is studying pictures of Harriet taken at a parade in town that day, trying to piece together the hours before she went missing. His daughter Nilla visits his lonely frozen cabin next. There's not much to this scene other yeah. than when she leaves, she mentions that she recognizes the names and numbers from Harriet's diary being Bible references. And this is probably one of the more weaker elements of the film. I'm not entirely sure how she knows that and why no one else over this in 40 time period, years yeah. could figure it out. But she looks at this and immediately recognizes because... I know what Bible look verses look like when they're written out, not like this. So <laughs> these are just random letters and numbers. I don't well, know. Well, you didn't how go to like the, this together. You know, the religious camp that she's going to attend. Because okay, it's two letters which we will find out are yeah. initials. Right. And then numbers. Yeah. I don't how is this all connected to the Bible? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's the Swedish Bible. Everything from these References, though, comes from the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus is like old school, Old Testament. Uh, essentially describes the rituals of Israel's original priests concerning the Sabbath, dietary restrictions, sexuality, and a host of other things. These, of course, are all fixated on sexuality and sexual rules for the most part. They're outdated, barbaric, obsessed with abominations and stonings and primitive executions of all kinds. Basically, a list of reasons that would justify killing a woman on moral grounds. So, the perfect recipe for a quote morality based serial involved killer. In. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna write down the actual verses. They are completely insane sounding, <laughs> but I decided to just let yeah, that go. I think we can live without. Henrik has a heart attack, but survives. Mikhail talking to Frodo wants a research assistant to help him with this ever-expanding Harriet case. What do you think Henrik having this heart attack in the middle of this serves the story? I guess it makes it a little bit more uncomfortable for him to be in this island because it does, even though Henrik's just this old guy, there is this sort of, he feels like he's under Henrik's protection. Yeah, I think the efforts to get him to leave are ramped up during this time period. Okay. And it sets up this scenario where his motivation could potentially start to wane if Henrik were to die and he were to not get the The info on Venerstrom that he was promised. You would think that the fact that he's inching closer to actually solving this, he's actually made some breakthroughs now because of his daughter realizing those were Bible verses that maybe he would want to just try to finish this no matter what. Yeah, he is uh, down the path following the breadcrumbs at this point. But who knows? It is possible that Henrik's death would just sort of make the thing fizzle out because at that point, who are you solving it for since no one else seems to care the same way? Sure. And also his main reason for agreeing to do it would be gone. Mikhail discovers that Lisbeth hacked him illegally to prepare his background check for Henrik. This, of course, is... Which he's a little bit perturbed by. It's because Frodo points him in the direction. He's like, I know someone you could hire to be your research assistant. He goes to the company that Elizabeth works for. He sort of pieces it together based on what's in this report that he's now able to read that she had hacked him illegally. He sort of uses that as a threat to gain her identity. He tracks her down. But rather than report it or do anything with that information, he ultimately recruits her to help him in his pursuit. And he knows the way to her heart, really, because he, he points out, how would you like to work on something 
trying to find someone who uh, murdered chicks. <laughs> murdered <laughs> That's what he chicks. says. That's a direct quote from the movie. <laughs> so she's interested. Some bloke that murders birds. That's right. This is the halfway point of the film, and Elizabeth and Mikhail... <laughs> Somehow we're only halfway through. <laughs> actually our first meeting for the first right, time. Right, yeah. And so much of the strength of this film comes from their unlikely chemistry, the chemistry between Daniel Craig and Rooney Mara, or Mikhail and Elizabeth. They have very different personalities. Yeah, they do become... They kind of have like an odd couple existence. But it works, and it clicks, and it, it comes at the right time, too, because to this point, having them running on this separate course is main characters that are unrelated to each other is sort of reaching its natural conclusion of burning out so it's now we're going to cross their paths yeah and there almost feels on like, like one singular plan to it, solve this case it kind of brings us to some moments of levity because their interactions are kind of funny and it's been mostly not fun up to this point <laughs> how weird would it be though if you're her and you're just at your apartment and this dude Oh, sure. Just shows up. And yeah, is like, it would be like if Alexandra Daddario just showed up at your apartment. <laughs> yeah, all the times I've been hacking her computers. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to figure out what she's doing. That's right. But yes, as you said, once he explains the situation, she's hooked in immediately. They're on the trail of a serial killer. That's what they've figured out. Conveniently, because of Detective Morell talking about this Rebecca case... Mikhail is able to figure out, based on the initials, that Rebecca Jacobson, which starts with a J, believe it or not, is RJ, and that her murder, the way she was killed, the description of it matches up with the Bible verse in Leviticus. And essentially, it's like, if the woman is this, then do this. If this is the... It's a lot of like crazy stuff like that. I don't even... You know, modern Jews and Christians don't follow, follow this, this. Stuff. i mean it's it's like completely insane i mean you're talking about like beheading people and all this stuff but yeah that is a little nuts that's the only one that mikhail's able to figure out and that's because it was provided to him by this other guy yeah right so the rebecca case that he was referencing ties in with this but at this point this is something that's written in harriet's diary he's still not quite made the connection oh, yeah. as to what this all is yet. I mean, you hit on it earlier, but I mean, he definitely is falling into this stuff more than like uncovering it. Yeah, but I think that's sort of how it works. You, you got to like yeah. lift up the rocks to see what's there and then things come loose right. on okay. their own at yeah, that point. I'm with you. He's made the first breakthrough, but there must be more. Yeah, this other detective is just like, what the fuck? <laughs> Why haven't I been able to figure anything out? So Lisbeth goes off on her own trying to track down what these other cases might be. And I love that Alan Dale, who played Caleb Nichol on the OC, pops up as this random police detective that tells Lisbeth about an old unsolved right. murder case. Yes. It's like, how <laughs> random is it that this dude is in there? I know, and I called that out too during the viewing. I was like, oh yeah, the dude from the OC. There's a fun scene with the Vanger family gathered in the hospital where they're trying to debate on what to do because Henrik doesn't have like any pre- ordain instructions about like a dnr or anything like right. that and so they they can't really make decisions together and there's some discussion between martin and froda and all these people yeah and it sounds like you know they're trying to excommunicate mikhail from the island and they all are taking shots at mikhail who's there and martin's mother who's also harriet's mother she's smoking in the waiting <laughs> yeah. room and that girl comes up and tells her not to smoke <laughs> 
<laughs> she just looks at her. Yeah, which is something that's done countless times. It's This is not the first time that there's been a scene like that. Right, right. But it's just so hilarious because she just looks at her yeah. and the girl walks just away. Just cowers. <laughs> I do like, yeah, I mean, this family can't get along about anything, but they are great at, like, roasting somebody. Like, as a group, they're just going after Mikkel. Yeah, she's like, when we want a family history written by a libelist, we know who to call. That's right. (laughs) Shots. So Elizabeth is off doing the groundwork, finding the cases that match up with these Bible verses. She shows up in Hedestead, finally, completely prepared. She matches all five Harriet originally noted. Yeah. And others as well. Mikhail is just like, boy, this is really what I needed on this case. Someone who knew what they were doing. Yeah. Each case more horrifying than the last. We have to hear about how each of these women were raped Brutal. and murdered. Yes. All horrifying. It's a serial murderer. And Mikhail's like, what does this have to do with a teenager living on an island? And Elizabeth tells him she was looking for him as well. Right. So that's your in. Without saying it, the idea is that the serial murderer was probably someone on the island. Yeah. Someone close to Harriet that would know that she might be getting close to uncovering things or revealing things. That's right. She's writing down these initials. (laughs) Rape, torture, fire, animals, religion. All religious names from the Old Testament, which Elizabeth points out that they're all Jewish. That's right. And of course, we know... No lack of anti-Semites around here. A lot of Nazi sympathizers living on this island. (laughs) I think one of the criticisms at the time from the minority of critics that did not review this film favorably was like basically saying that they use misogyny slash feminism as like a counterbalance and just sprinkle in this Nazi shit as like a justification to then do all of this sordid stuff and and sort of have these lurid details on screen or what have you. But I ultimately think... I don't take it as a justification. I just think that the Nazism thing is a red herring. Yeah. Because it is ultimately irrelevant to the idea of what's happening, whether or not the women were Jewish, whether or not the people that killed the women... What's motivating the killings is not that. Yeah, it's it's sort of just thrown in there because we... And even at the end, it's unclear the character that this is all going to lead towards. If anything, it it might just serve, okay, let's make it seem like all these people are suspects. Yeah. I I do think it's a red herring, which I guess some people might have a problem with, but I don't know. I mean, come on. (laughs) Go listen to another show then. But Harriet's name is not Jewish, and so that's, again, sort of a confusing twist to this, figuring out what happened. But also maybe a clue. After the first night that Lisbeth spends at the cabin... The next morning, the cat that Mikhail had taken in and was caring for is killed and mutilated into the shape of a swastika with its legs like broken. Super fucked up. One of the most horrible displays of animal killings in a movie ever. It's just like so fucked up to have it formed this way. Yeah. And I love Daniel Craig's reaction. It feels so real. I don't know if this is one of those moments in a movie where they did something that the actor wasn't expecting, but if not, I, I think it's 100% well executed because it just feels like the most genuine, visceral reaction to just seeing something horrible. Yeah, and it's one of those things, too, where, and this will happen later in the film, where the person that they're looking for will admit to one thing, which hasn't happened yet, 
but this never really gets talked about. I have to assume that it, it is the person that they're pursuing that does this, right? I would say so, yeah. But yet it's you never don't know confirmed. For sure, right? Yeah, and you, you do think that any the number of these weirdos on this island might have done this. Maybe you're just supposed to take it that like known serial killers have history of animal abuse, things like that. Maybe well, yeah, you that's true, that but in. I think this is just supposed to be trying to get them to leave. That's the one thing that I don't know. Like, it does Martin want him to leave or not? With these last yeah. these incidents that lead up, yeah, because to the at end. the end of the he actually says at the end, yeah. why didn't you just leave? Yeah, I know, <laughs> but for a while, I do get the sense that he's genuinely interested. In... No, that's, he's not genuinely. That's him pretending. <laughs> okay, I know the whole thing about him being nice. But... I thought the serial killer was genuinely being friendly and nice. <laughs> no, no, I, I just thought that he also wants to know what happened to Harriet. No, I do think that that's true, but I think that he knows that there are on to him at a certain point that they're that following the direction of the, of the investigation yeah. is going towards okay that's fair that's, that's probably true yeah well let's take this opportunity to talk a little bit about the casting of this film Lisbeth was one of the most sought after parts in hollywood for a time these parts always come along right every few years where it seems everyone like everyone it. of an appropriate age is trying to get it there's male parts, female parts. This was a Could huge Could change a career, part. probably. There was support amongst fans for Numi to reprise the role that she had played in the original Swedish trilogy. She had no interest in continuing on with it. I think that's probably the right move from her perspective and also for this film's perspective. Why yeah. do the Just same thing? Just a new, thing? fresh look. So let's run through some of these names, and then we'll, we'll sort of circle back. There are a lot of names. There's a lot of names. Okay. Emily Browning, Eva Green, Anne Hathaway, Scarlett Johansson, Kira Knightley, Jennifer Lawrence, Carrie Mulligan, Elliot Page, Natalie Portman, Leah Sidhu, Vanessa Hutchins, Sarah Snook, who okay. I didn't really know who that was until I looked at her picture and then I kind of recognized her. All right. Sounds Kristen nice. Stewart, Olivia Thurlby. Oh. Mia Wasikowska, Emma Watson, Evan Rachel Wood. Yolandi Visser. Hmm. Now, from the things that I've heard or read, okay, not like heard, right? From I'm your not, friends in the industry, I'm not having drinks at Musso and Frank's, <laughs> and agents are telling me these things. Right. It seemed like if Natalie Portman wanted it, she would have had it, but she turned it down. This was coming off of a crazy run for her, where she won the Academy Award for Black Swan. She's in that new relationship with that dude. She ends That's up getting right. pregnant. She takes a lot of time off. Yeah. So she it, turns it down. With the content of the movie, it's Natalie Portman's great and, and a ton She's of never roles. done this level of yeah. nudity, that's for sure. Right. I know. And you wonder if that would have been an issue. Well, I think she would have had to have known, but who knows yeah. if... Yeah. Well, I think that happens probably all the time, that different stars get things changed, and you never really know right. how it would have been one way or the other. I think the studio wanted a bigger star. Scarlett Johansson was considered. Uh, I think seems insane. Fincher considered her to be too, you know, va va voom. Like it just <laughs> too voluptuous. It's a little too crazy yeah. looking. Some of these other people I could have seen. I think some oh, yeah. of them backed out from consideration when they found out the salary. I think that these were the days when the female lead was probably getting paid a lot less than Daniel Craig. Yeah. Even if it wouldn't have been someone who was still pretty unknown like Rooney, I think there wasn't necessarily a lot budgeted for this. So some of those people backed out. Some were just flat out rejected. 
I think it's a smart move to go with someone where there isn't a ton of preconceived notions about because the character is so and it's such unique a, and like such definitive. a transformation in look that maybe it would be like distracting if it was someone that I don't know. You feel like Anne Hathaway might be a little bit. You might be distracted by her looking like this the whole movie. I don't know. <laughs> Picturing Anne Hathaway and the girl with the dragon that's tattoo what I'm saying. is hilarious. Right, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, some of these people you don't necessarily have the same relationship with that you do with others. So, yeah, could I see maybe a Kristen Stewart and Evan Rachel Wood? Yeah, I can see it. Pulling this off. Kira Knightley. Would it be as good? I don't know. I, I don't think so. But I think things worked out in the right way. Fincher, of course, had worked with Rooney on The Social Network, and he also worked with her sister on House of Cards. But he did have to convince the studio had to put her on tape and make her look how she was going to look, and they filmed different things. Rooney got real piercings, as we mentioned. She also lost weight. Oh, yeah, she's super skinny. <laughs> yeah, because she's usually huge. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of weight to, to lose there. I wish I could lose that weight. <laughs> Mikhail, there were a few big names considered, including George Clooney, Johnny Depp, Brad Pitt, Viggo Mortensen. I think definitely Clooney, Depp, and Pitt would have all been a mistake. This would have then turned into a George Clooney movie, a Johnny Depp movie, a Brad Pitt movie, and it, the focus gets all out of, yeah, out yeah. of whack there. I think Daniel Craig does, even though he was Bond, he brings such a great understated quality to this character yeah i could have seen vigo doing it if he would have channeled his cronenberg period i think he can sort of be that type of chameleon where he could have blended into this movie perfectly but daniel craig is perfect because a lot of women like him he's sort of got a heartthrob quality which makes sense that even someone as hardened to the world as lisbeth would be interested in him yeah he's got like a decent dad bod although he gained weight for this part and he was only really he, able to accept it because Skyfall got delayed. He hit, originally had to turn it down. I love him like gaining weight. I mean, he still looks like cooler than I could ever aspire to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It didn't really seem like he gained a lot of weight. Yeah, yeah. Back to the movie. Lisbeth and Mikhail are now working with a list of numerous young women murdered between 1947 and 1967, indicating an unknown serial killer who had been working across the entire country, and yeah. who also, based on Harriet's pursuit and then sudden disappearance, was or is likely connected to her in some way. And then the killings stop after she disappears, right? The, yeah, we, they think. Right. We're going to find out yeah, yeah, later. Yeah. Right, but, that, yeah. that something else is going on. So there's a an extended pursuit of these parade photos that would r- reveal who Harriet was looking at that day on the other side of the street. It involves... Mikhail driving around trying to track down whoever this person was next to Harriet who was taking pictures that would show the other side of the street. Yeah, which seems wild. Seems impossible. Yeah, really. never be able to do this. And the way that they do figure it out is sketchy at best. Yeah, But you sort of have to roll with it. Right, right. I think that's when you say, like, oh, it's surprising this takes place over a year when you go back and look at it. It's like, oh, well... Yeah, this would take forever to like track all this yeah. stuff down and figure it all out. I have to say, I mean, the first time I watched this, uh, I, I there's no way I was following all of these details as to like the trail of yeah, it's hard. It's following. a lot to keep track yeah. of. 
While Lisbeth sets up security cameras around Mikhail's cabin because of the cat, a bullet grazes Mikhail's forehead, and he is pursued by an unknown assailant running through the woods. While he's, like, checking out the house that Harriet grew up in, right? Harriet yes. and Martin. That's just sort of abandoned now. Yeah, it also is very close to the water. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't seem that nice. No. When he gets back to the cabin, Lisbeth tends to his wound, stitches him up. That's right. And then they have sex with sort Lisbeth unexpected. being the aggressor. She offers herself to him. Now, when we saw this in the theater, I remember when she pulled her panties down. Audible gasps. There, there was a guy behind us that's that was like, holy shit. <laughs> Do you remember that? Uh, not really, but I, I can definitely see it. Admittedly, it is shocking, and you're you're sort of taken aback. I think on the director's commentary, which I didn't listen to in preparation for this, but I listened to a long time ago, I remember Fincher talking a lot about <laughs> Rooney requesting a Merkin to wear, and Fincher not really knowing what that was, which oh, seems yeah. crazy that he would be working in, in film. In the industry and not know. And he was just like, yeah, I guess, because she clearly she wanted to cover herself a little sure, bit sure. there. But like she was justifying it in the sense that in the book, Lisbeth is supposed to have like red hair, reddish hair, and she dyes it black. Okay. And so like her bush would be like yeah. a different color. Right. Although you, it's... I can follow that The logic. way that it's shot and the lighting, it's yeah, not it's like hard you can tell. actually really right. even see anything yeah. down there, but <laughs> not that we were studying it. <laughs> I love yeah, how really, that comes like, off. That guy behind is like, holy shit, you just like lean over to me and you're like, literally me. <laughs> no, I think, you know, we were probably like laughing. At, yeah, like, right. Like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's like, this is Black Swan all over this again. This legend behind us. <laughs> it felt weird, though, after the intense, Absolutely. horrifying yes. rapes we had seen for somebody to yell, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord. It's a pretty wild scene, though. Oh, yeah. There's no denying that it's a hot I would, scene. I would Because it's a pretty yeah. crazy sex scene. It's the type of sex scene that you rarely would see anymore. But and in all fairness, Mikhail does say, this might be a bad idea. Like, I don't know if this is great. And yeah. she's just like, Fuck why? It. You fucked this other lady that you work with, and that seems to work out. And he's like, good enough for me. Yeah, <laughs> he didn't take that much convincing. <laughs> and of course, he will essentially be right. It probably wasn't the best idea to do this especially from her perspective later. Yeah. But she shoots her shot, and he's like, all right. <laughs> sure, let's go for this. The age difference is a little weird, but it, she's supposed to be like 23. I would say that he's, what, supposed to be like in his mid-40s? I so guess. He's it's hard probably to say. like 20 yeah. years older than her. Yeah, well, you know, when you work together with someone this closely. Yeah, and you're basically it, just living in a cold cabin That's right. Together. Not much to do. <laughs> Mikhail wants access to all of Vanger Industries' records. Because now what they're essentially going to try yeah. to do is look through the history, match it up to the times he and is, locations of these murders, and figure out who was there. He's definitely more aggressively pursuing this at this point. Yeah. Martin is actually the one pushing to allow him when Frodo is kind of like hesitant and doesn't really know if that's a good idea. Because... As he points out, when you've been in business for 120 years or whatever, there's probably yeah, a, lot a lot of stuff of, we're hiding. Right. A lot of stuff we'd rather people not know about. Henrik, at this point, still in the hospital. We haven't seen him. There's a long, tense montage with Mikhail examining photographs to determine that it was Martin back in Hedestead earlier than he claimed on that day, that September day in 1966. 
he is who that's right harriet is looking at across the street his face is partially obscured by a balloon but yeah. they're able to match this kind of rest on his jacket picture yeah right from his schoolboy academy <laughs> schoolboy academy <laughs> <laughs> yeah all this really does though is prove that he was lying about how early he got back because conveniently in the same picture there's a clock above his head yeah. that shows that he was back like two hours earlier than he said he was. That's right. Let's rewind for a second. Okay, l- let's put all the cards on the table. We're d- we're almost two hours into this fucking Oh, yeah. Thing. Martin's the killer. Yeah, but he didn't kill Harriet. Right. Why did he lie about what time he got back to the island? It's true. I don't know. It's unclear. How would he know back in 1966 that someday they were going to be able to piece it together that his sister was afraid to see him? I don't know. They, I will they say, didn't really clear up why he needed to lie about that. The way he's lurking in this picture uh, is kind of condemning. <laughs> well, based on the story that we end up getting, I think you could work in an explanation as to why he needed to lie. But they don't really do that. And you're like, okay, well, once we have all the pieces, why would he need to lie about what time he got back in Hedestead? By the way, day? at this point in the movie, Mikel is figuring this out on his own, right? This is Yeah, Elizabeth is off at the uh, archives of the company. Which she also figures it out separately, right? Well, yeah, eventually, because she's matching up the earlier killings. Yeah, yeah. Lisbeth is researching company records showing that Harriet and Martin's father, Gottfried, can be linked to most of the murders dating back all the way into the 40s. However, Gottfried died before Harriet disappeared and also before the last of the noted murders that they know of. Yeah. She's like making a spreadsheet. She puts Godfrey down right. as the likely suspect, but then for the last one, she has question marks because it happened after he died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a fun kind of twist to all of this. Investigating this murder, what ends up happening with Harriet, there's multiple killers, so we've got kind of the scream <laughs> situation going <laughs> kind on. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> While Lisbeth is still deep in the Vanger Industries archives, Mikhail decides that it will be a good idea to break into Martin's house to try to a- obtain more proof. He's now locked in on Martin yeah. because this feels of the photos. like a bad idea, <laughs> what he's doing here. While Mikhail's sneaking around the house, Martin arrives home and catches him basically in the act. And this is something that we often reference because oh, yeah. it's something you can just kind of point to as something about human beings in general right. and the human condition, but you know it works its way into other movies, this idea. You put yourself in the Mikkel position here, and for some, like you just would do what he does, even though it seems so stupid. Right, because I, it's something that... Okay, so eventually it will be Martin that will sort of bring this up, and it will be later right. in the basement, but there is one key element to this that he's leaving out. So let me let's explain what we're talking about. So... At this point, Mikhail is out of the house. He's far enough away where he could realistically make a run for it back down the hill. He knows that he's been shot at already, so that might factor into it. But he slips and he makes a sound, and so Martin sees him. Martin plays it completely cool as if nothing weird is going on. It's like, oh, Henrik wanted me to ask you something. And he's like, what? And he's like, well, let's talk about it over a drink. Come on. And he turns around. He turns his back to him. Yeah. Walks giving towards him the house an opening and Mikhail just follows him into the house even though it has to be obvious what was happening right and even though he knows that something's not right he knows that he should be suspicious of this guy he follows him into the house 
And so Martin will bring this up later. It's this fear of being impolite, Rude. fear of yeah. offending is stronger than the fear of imminent danger or pain or something that could happen. Which is so bizarre, yet resonates with me so much. I know. It is like a universal truth. However, the one thing that he is not factoring in is, and I think this applies in these kind of instances, is that there is this almost ridiculous cause for hope that exists in people. This idea that, like, well, maybe he doesn't know. Right. Or maybe I'm wrong. Even yeah, though, yeah. like, you're just doubting yourself. And maybe he's buying that I was really on this walk in his backyard. <laughs> yeah, and this ties in with something that got talked about on like my favorite murder a lot, or more like modern true crime stuff, which is fuck politeness. Right. Because over the course of the history of serial killers, I think many have preyed on people's natural desire to be yeah. polite. Oh, I do think a master manipulator would try to go after someone's you want to be disarming right like that's so that their senses aren't uh, yeah and they'll sort of like be pushy in a way that doesn't seem pushy yet you might be suspicious of something it's like always trust your suspicions because you could always apologize later if you're completely wrong right and, and it blows your up first in your instinct face. should just be to tell people to fuck off yeah just don't go along with things don't follow people places don't yeah. Put yourselves in situations where... Don't help someone move a couch into the back of a van. Right. I mean, that's what Ted Bundy did, and they, they used it in Silence of the Lambs, too. That is the kind of stuff that they would do, is like try to get people to help, and then they, they're isolated I know, and vulnerable. it is so fucked up. It gives me chills thinking about that stuff. We see Lisbeth reach the same conclusion about Martin and head back Hello, in a Martin. hurry. At gunpoint... Martin forces Mikhail into his specially prepared basement <laughs> where he then knocks him out with gas that he turns on with a switch, which is completely insane. I know this basement is so elaborate. <laughs> There's like several security doors that he has to go through yeah. with like a security card. Martin thing. just competing with uh, Buffalo Bill for the most unique basement. <laughs> I don't know if Buffalo Bill's is this elaborate, well, that, although it he, is. He didn't have the technology. Equally as scary. Yeah. <laughs> Once Mikhail's knocked out with the gas, he's placed into these restraints, and Martin proceeds to start bragging about killing and raping women for decades, as did his father, who sexually abused him and Harriet. What do I do with the girls? That's a good question. Well, before I do what we're doing, sit down, relax, have a drink. I like that part a lot. Having a chat with both of you know that one of you is going to die. Afterwards, I just get rid of them, far out of sea. Unlike my father, who left them scattered all over the place like trophies. That's not very smart, if you ask me. He was a loud and garish man. Frankly, he got what he deserved. You can't be a sloppy technician like that. You can't drink to excess like he did. This takes discipline. It's a science of a thousand details. The planning, the execution. Cleaner. I guess I don't have to tell you, but you're going to create quite a mess. Here. <coughs> shh, shh, shh. Let me ask you something. Why don't people trust their instincts? They sense something is wrong. Someone is walking too close behind them. You knew something was wrong. But you came back into the house. Did I force you? Did I drag you in? No. All I had to do was 
offer you a drink. It's hard to believe that fear of offending him is stronger than the fear of pain, but you know what? It is. And they always come willingly. And then they sit there. They know it's all over, just like you do. But somehow, they still think they have a chance. Maybe if I say the right thing. Maybe if I'm polite. If I cry, if I beg. And when I see the hope draining from their face like it is from yours right now, I can feel myself getting hard. But you know, we're not that different, you and I. We both have urges. A satisfying mind requires more towels. A couple of little things here, like the old-fashioned VHS recorder yeah. and stuff like that. Fincher wanted to incorporate some older things into it so that you would get the idea of how long this has been going on right? and how long the situation has been used. This is such a cool scene, the way it's done. I mean, obviously, just this... It, it takes you a second to kind of come to grips with like this basement <laughs> and the things that he has in it. And then, like, I also like how he has Miguel strung up and, like, pours him this drink and has him, like, hold it. He obviously can't drink it. But there is, like, soothing presence to Martin in the scene, though, too. Oh, yeah. He's relaxed and enjoying himself. And he even says that his favorite part is this time where he talks to the girls and they both know that one of them's going to die. And the girls are always trying to figure out what he wants from them to try to not get killed. By the way, I think if they are trying to get on the trail of serial killers, anyone who downloads Enya music, I think is a good place to oh, start. Oh yeah, we're going to get to Enya in a second. <laughs> I think that how disturbing the setup is and the implications of the setup. Right. And even him referencing the screaming that was going on when they the other girl dinner. was down there yeah. when they were at dinner. That is supposed to counterbalance sort of the casual reveal that you sort of had to know was coming with this character. Right. Because as we said, you only meet a couple of the other people on the island very briefly. It would have been ridiculous to make it just Gottfried, who had died a long time ago. It would have made it ridiculous if it was a character you barely met, and this is an actor you're familiar with. Sure. So it's not a huge shock. The details you don't know, and they're all disturbing and interesting and impossible to know in advance, but... I think that you're so caught off guard by the gas and the elaborate restraint thing that is like set up to some sort of like a pulley system. Yeah, you're like, what is Amazon Prime delivering to this guy's house? <laughs> it's it's just a, such a weird room that you almost forget like, oh yeah, the reveal itself is sort of anticlimactic because you kind of already knew that it had to be this guy in some way. But yeah, so first, before we talk about anything, he, he does deny murdering Harriet Which adamantly is, and I, in a way where you sort of just believe it as a viewer you're like oh there's still some reveals left in this movie because <laughs> it's like yeah okay we found a killer but he somehow didn't kill the person that's being investigated right and he, there's what feels like genuine anger because he wants to know right. and it plays out happened. perfectly because like Mikkel obviously just like us as viewers I mean Mikkel is like the audience at this point because he's like yeah you killed her and he's like, you idiot, stupid fucking detective. <laughs> he's like, well, I don't know if you noticed, I did lose a huge libel suit before right. it started, so back off. Yeah. <laughs> Mikhail is like the fucking Nancy Grace of 
Sweden. Yeah. <laughs> Fincher wanted a song for Martin to play while he tortures and murders. And Daniel Craig himself was the one that suggested Orinko or Orinko. I don't know how you say it. Orinko flow by Enya. Yeah. And everyone was like, what the fuck is that? And he starts singing it, and they were just like laughing at him. And like, oh my God. <laughs> wow, what? what a scene. I would have loved to have been there for that. And they're like, okay, yeah. And they, they incorporate that into this scene, and it is very bizarre. And it, let's admit it, I mean, there is like a reminiscence to American Psycho a oh, little yeah. bit. Right. Just this absurd pop music juxtaposed oh, against yeah. like what's going to be a brutal crime. I do like how he calls out that that married colleague of his that he's been you know banging sporadically i like how he's like yeah she finds me very conventional just his idea of like this whole other double life well that yeah that's very common right i think in a lot of serial killers where sometimes they will have families the ones that have families like the btk killer for example oh yeah it just seems like this boring normal person and there's just this fucked up shit going on that people don't know about yeah as Martin is about to kill Mikhail, Elizabeth arrives and just fucks his face oh, up with I a know. golf club. <laughs> it's actually hard to watch. His teeth just go flying yeah, out. Yeah, his jaw is like dislocated oh. and is sort of like hanging off his face. And his demeanor, of course, completely changes. He kind of becomes like Jack Nicholson in The Shining, just like this wounded animal. It's reminiscent of when Bruce Willis goes back down into the basement of the pawn shop in Pulp Fiction. Because Mikhail is strung up like almost the same way. Oh, yeah. As Ving Rames. Ving Rames is being raped. It, it almost visually kind of feels the same, and, and you get that same like thrilling feeling of like somebody coming back to do some like serious damage. That's right. But Martin flees from the room as she's letting Kale out of the restraints. The big thing that he kind of reveals about what he's been doing too is like how he didn't follow in his father's footsteps with. In fact, he thought his father was kind of an idiot for all of the religious loud, stuff that he did. A loud, garish man. Yeah. Yeah, so the idea is, and yeah, we, we did kind of tease that and then not say it, which is Gottfried's going around with the company to different towns. He's finding these women, I think a lot of them immigrant women, which was the point that Martin was making at one point. And he murders them, and he leaves them on display, similar to maybe like the beginning of True Detective Season 1. There's this demented, fucked-up artistry to it in their minds. Yeah, it's where like ritualistic. Yeah, they're making these statements, and he's leaving the bodies all around Sweden in his wake. Well, he dies in 1966. We will find out how he died later, because somehow there's still like, like 40 minutes yeah, left of this so movie. So much time. <laughs> and once Martin takes over, other than his first victim, Lena who was a classmate of his, which is how Lisbeth connects it to right. him. Yeah. Other than that one, he realized that he needed to be more discreet, unlike his drunken father, who was sort of more animalistic about it. And so he would kill them in this basement and then take them out to sea and dump them, sort of like Dexter or something. Yep. And so that's why that trail of murders that Elizabeth had found and had been investigating sort of stops because there's no more of these public case files of these ritualistic murders. It becomes much more about him getting hard, oh, which gosh, he says. Yeah, right. Because not that Gottfried didn't find sexual gratification in fucked up things like murder and 
and incest with his children. But it sort of stops being this biblical-related thing of, like, some sort of moral crusade. Just just the thrill of the kill at that point. And so, yeah, the idea is that he's probably killed... Who knows? I don't know. Countless, 20, 40, it feels like. Yeah. 60 women, something and crazy And he just makes amount. him disappear. Elizabeth grabs a gun and pursues him on her motorcycle. She stops to ask Mikhail on her way out, may I kill him? That got kind of a laugh slash reaction in the theater. Yeah. People liked it. Right. Us cheering. And he's like, yeah, he can like barely breathe. Right. <laughs> Elizabeth chases down martin eventually running him off the road where he hits a propane tank that's weird like i have some degree of suspense in this scene when she first starts pursuing him because she's kind of careless about it but he's i guess i don't know i don't know what's going through his mind at this point i guess he's just panicked he and just his got, face like, is fucked up, up. Yeah. yeah because i think with these serial killers they have such an insane attention to detail and they're trying to control every aspect of right. everything and now the control the is spiraled yeah. at this point Martin hits this propane tank, blowing up the car, killing him. <laughs> By the way. An unexpected way for him to go. Still a half hour left in this yeah, movie right. at this point. <laughs> now that Martin the villain is, dead. is gone. <laughs> so I'm going to just breeze through some of this stuff a little bit faster, especially after we get to the conclusion conclusion. Okay. I'll just read some stuff I copied off of Wikipedia, interjecting here and there. Aftermath, Elizabeth and Mikhail grow closer. She nurses him back to health. He wonders why she's a ward of the state. And she tells him that as a child, she was institutionalized after attempting to burn her father alive. <laughs> you just see Mikhail just like slowly creeping out, out, back yeah, right. out of the room backwards, like <laughs> slow motion, getting in his car, yeah. starting his car, right. driving away. <laughs> Credits. What the fuck? <laughs> Although, yeah. I mean, wouldn't you 100% buy that? Is this person's backstory? Yeah, when she's fucking Bierman up big time, and she's, like, sort of controlling that situation while she's getting her tattoo gun ready. She's like, what did all my files say about me? I'm insane. I'm insane. And she's like, no, it's true. I am insane. Yeah. <laughs> she's sort of embracing it. Yeah, a right. Bit. Her history with her father and this incident, this particularly violent incident, plays a much bigger part in the follow-up novels of the original trilogy, The Girl Who Played With Fire and The Girl Who Kicked the Hornet's Nest. However, as mentioned, those books don't really have as much action and I don't really think would make great movies, at least in America. I I don't know. As you said, which was kind of news to me, the, the original plan was to maybe change it up from the books. Yeah, it would have been a just, good idea, I think. 
I was just reading about the timeline after this movie, and I think they changed the screenwriter. Maybe that guy that wrote Seven came on board. Okay. Yeah. but So it seemed like there was some initial plans immediately following the movie, but it just kind of never picked up the steam. Yeah, I think the only way that they would ever return to this trilogy idea or back to this original timeline with Rooney Mara and Daniel Craig would be if Fincher got reinterested in it and Netflix footed the bill. Sure, yeah. And obtained the rights, which it seems like now that's where Fincher's headspace is with the shows that he's done for them and then Mank this year. Right. You are just getting to the point, though, where it feels like too much time has passed. Oh, yeah. I yeah, I definitely think that, too. But I'm saying that's the only way that sure. something yeah. like that would ever happen now. There's no... After the spiderweb deal in that movie losing a lot of money and just no one being interested in it no yeah. studio is gonna think like oh yeah let's bring this back right now no 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 that's not to say that there will never be another theatrical oh one. i don't I just think, think we're like done. a long time yeah i don't think we're done with this content i don't think we've seen the last well that's because nothing's ever over right exactly ever again. Yeah. <laughs> someone in some point in time will be like well what about this They'll be like, all right, instead of any <laughs> new or original thing, they're like, well, we already own this, so let's just do That's this. That's right, yep. But yeah, I'm talking like if Fincher, Craig, Morrow were to ever be involved again, you'd probably be thinking uh, a Netflix situation only. Yeah. I don't see Sony or whoever ponying up the money again. That is that the weird Fincher thing about wants. actors, though. Even 10 years later, it's like you can kind of see all these people reprising the roles and it, it not feeling like that many Years have passed. Yeah. Lisbeth and Mikhail eventually deduce that Harriet must be alive and in hiding. I'm not going to get into why. It's not important. <laughs> it, it, who cares? It's, right, right, it's right. It's just wasted time. They travel to London and confront Harriet's cousin, Anita, only to discover that she is actually Harriet. Harriet reveals that Gottfried and Martin sexually abused her for years and that Martin continued the abuse after she killed a drunken Gottfried in an act of self-defense. So I'm going to pause right there and say, when they do reveal that Harriet is yeah. still alive, was that a surprise or was that what you were thinking by this point? It was a surprise to me. I didn't know that she was still alive. You see, I felt like that was the only logical Maybe conclusion. Maybe it should have been point. more obvious to me, but I think I'm so far along in the ride that I've accepted that Harriet well, is dead. Well, once... Martin says he didn't kill her. Yeah. I feel like it. there's no other explanation at that point. Because then you would be introducing a third killer. Right. Yeah, you look <laughs> because back. Because Godfrey was already dead. It Martin seems more says obvious. he didn't do it. I, I, I just wasn't putting it together at the time. But I was thinking I that will, something yeah, is I, weird. I have to admit, I was not quite putting it together that Anita was going to just be Harriet. Although, yeah. in retrospect, that does make sense and is the only but thing But the idea of ever of Anita and Harriet, like even that whole story of what really happened that day <laughs> is a little bit nuts. Well, what else could it have been? Yeah. It would have to be something like that. Right. Because I guess... the boats weren't gone. It would ha If no one killed her, then she was only 16 no, I and know. she left all of her stuff there. How else would she get off there without someone else's help? But I guess like them leaving, what I mean is them having this plan and leaving isn't the part that I think is kind of weird. It's like years going on, the real Anita dies. Harriet has assumed Anita's. There's like a Don Draper yeah. <laughs> situation going on. It was on. easier to do, especially if you immigrated to another country. That's true. Because there there wasn't as much photo ID. You know what I mean? Like it just was yeah. hard to keep track, especially you move to this other country. Who knows you? 
they looked about the same. Their That's ages true. were yeah. close enough. I think Anita was two years older. No one from the family is ever going to leave the island to come find us. Harriet's cousin, Anita, smuggled her off the island in the trunk of her car and let Harriet assume her identity in London, though sometime later, Anita and her husband were killed in a car accident. And just for the record, in these flashback sequences with the Anita from 1966, she's a goddamn smoke show. I don't know who this actress is. (laughs) I looked through the credits. She didn't even have a picture on IMDb. I was like, who is this person, this angel? But... Did Anita leave the family under circumstances of like... I think it was a situation where a lot of the younger generation was sick of the family. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that Anita was necessarily abused in the same way that Harriet was, but people were like Nazis, abusers, drunks. It's not a good scene. We got to get out of here. No, I know, but it just seems... (laughs) Not unlike probably what a lot of younger people are feeling, you know, today in 2021. Just It seems odd that... No one ever really pursued Anita. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) No, yeah, I don't know. It's just not part of the story. They don't get into it. Finally free of her brother, Harriet returns to Sweden and tearfully reunites with Henrik. Sort of a a very brief and almost anticlimactic scene. Yeah. Because we're now on to like our second. I love the idea that they're like, we're not going to tell Henrik what's going on until she shows up. It's like everyone's in on this surprise. Yeah. The guy just had a heart attack. (laughs) He might have another one. During the scene where Harriet is giving the full story to Mikkel, when she talks about how'd you get away from him or whatever, and he's like, somebody saved me too. And the camera pans up to Elizabeth. I get a little choked up. Him showing her his neck where the bruises are from the restraints and being like, your brother did this is the thing that jars her out of her Anita thing and just being like, oh, fuck. Yeah. I guess in order to solve the mystery and tie up all the loose ends, it was Harriet all along sending the flowers to Henrik for his birthday. He's like, boy, I guess I could have put that together. I don't know why you would ever think that. Yeah, because she was so young. Right. If she that's why she needed to be sixteen. Because it just if she was older, then you would always be like, Well, maybe she is alive. Who else would be sending these flowers? What was she hoping to get out of sending this? I don't know. She just did it. Yeah. Now it seems the like issue a risk. that I had was Harriet disappeared in nineteen sixty six. Jolie Richardson was born in nineteen sixty five. Oh wow. And they're yeah, saying she she's sixteen years yeah. old. She would be a lot older. Now, again, if you were right, if we're literally supposed to take 40 years as 40 years later, and this is when the novels came out okay, in 2005, yeah. 2006, it gets closer. It's still not perfect. It's a five-year difference between 2011 and 2006, obviously. But yeah. the technology changed a lot from 2006 to 2011. I I'd mean, say so, yeah. It seems like they're on the cutting edge of 2011. Right. But still, the ages don't really match up. She was not... 16 years old in 1966 it's just but whatever yeah they wanted to cast jolie richardson which i'm okay with as promised henrik gives mikhail information against venerstrom but it proves to be outdated and useless there's a minor meltdown from mikhail over yeah. this where he's like flipping out well, he, even going as far as to say as i like henrik but he knows this is useless right <laughs> you are useless yeah lisbeth then reveals that she had already hacked Venerstrom's accounts, and she's like, well, I'll just give you this shit. He's fucked. 
She gives Mikhail evidence of Vennerstrom's crimes. Again, we don't really need to get into the details of them, which he then publishes in a scathing editorial, ruining Vennerstrom and bringing Mikhail to national prominence once again. Wow. But it is like, boy, this better be legit this time. <laughs> well, he knows it is because it's straight from his computer. But you're going after the same guy that you lost a liable case to. It is a bit of a gamble because... They are illegally obtaining this information, and they're going to have to hope that things don't blow up enough to the point where it's going to be revealed how that information was obtained. Yeah. And of course, it it doesn't matter because everything just collapses around Vennerstrom, who's then eventually murdered in an apparent gangland shooting because he's involved with so much organized crime shit. They're kind of calling him the Swedish version of... Madoff See, or Ponzi. I didn't know that when he gets killed, I didn't know if that was supposed to be a result of her taking the money. Like, all of a sudden, this money's missing. I think it's a little bit more detailed, the reasoning or the presumed reasoning of the killing in the book. But yeah, it could be any of those things. Yeah, yeah. Because he's just in this lifestyle. Elizabeth borrows 50000 from Mikhail. <laughs> I love how... He's like, I don't know if I have it. And she's like, you do. You you have 65 between your two accounts. I'm sorry that I know this. <laughs> but I, That is funny. I also like how they talk earlier in the movie how this court case has taken most of his life savings and he still has $65,000 left. Well, he's rich. Yeah. Of course he gives it to her because she saved his life. And, you know, that's what you have to do. Really? Yeah. She's convincing. So then there's this long montage that almost reminds me of... A different movie. Victor from Rules of Attraction. Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> she's going, she's jet-setting around Europe, With taking drugs. Blonde and wig. Fucking people yeah. and shitting her pants and all kinds of crazy shit. It is like that. Yeah, she gets in disguise, she covers up her tattoos, and she wears a blonde wig, and she takes her piercings out, and she goes around Switzerland and she removes... Looks hot. <laughs> Great commentary really removes two billion euros from venerstrom's secret accounts i'm into this wig look i think rooney mara was saying that once she had like committed to the character of lisbeth that she didn't really like having to do this it does seem odd it's like such a random transformation and again it is weird because they never completed the trilogy and so this whole sequence you're like two hours and 25 minutes into this thing and you're like what is this now and the movie has kind of run out of energy at this point yeah everything is still great it looks great it sounds great it is great but yeah the forward momentum of this story has all but died and you're like what is this i know and it does kind of seem unbelievable that the elizabeth character would i know she's like doing this whole like spy exercise but it seems weird that she would dress and look like this I, I buy it. Okay. She's supposed to be a larger-than-life character, which is why they took the swing on making her into, like, a female James Bond, essentially. I think they, like, want her to I thought it was a swing scene. and a miss, though. Well, yeah, that movie was. Yeah. But I think the sequence, it works. Okay. Because the idea is, uh, it's almost like in something like organized crime or, like, gangland activity or something where you have to pay another person to be able to have prostitution here. Right. Because there's some other higher criminal person. And it's like you can't go to the police and say you're being extorted for money because you're doing a prostitution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know what I mean? She knows this is secret accounts, money that was obtained illegally through various means. Again, I I don't really know all the details of this stuff, but Venerstrom's involved in all this criminal activity. 
So this money is basically like if you can get your hands on it and, and funnel it to these other secret accounts in different yeah, islands for and you. whatnot, yeah. they aren't going to be able to trace it because she's such a great hacker. She's bouncing it, you know, all these different places. Right. And then, like, what's he going to do? I mean, granted, he gets killed, but there's really nothing that can be done with it if you can get away with the money because it's almost unknown money. Yeah. <laughs> you just don't know who's going to be coming after it. Even well, if that, might pl- dis- that might play into the sequels. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. And so now we finally made it <laughs> to this ending, <laughs> to which like I know we wanted to talk ending. about. Yeah. Usually, I think if we were doing like a five act structure movie and like all of the great stuff had wrapped itself up and this was all sort of like an unnecessary overhang to it, we would have maybe even cut it out and just not talked about it at all or just summed it up in two sentences. But we wanted to get to this ending because right. the ending is unbelievably great. <laughs> and yeah, it's sad and somber and weird. And yet, Almost every time I watch the movie, I burst out laughing because it's just so abrupt with the credits. You're like, Jesus Christ, what? (laughs) And you have really just been on a journey up to this point. Yeah, and I love the scene. I think it's executed brilliantly. And yet, if you compare it to a book where you're able to kind of dance in the middle of these characters' thoughts and get backstory and the picture that she's basing this gift off of is tied in with things earlier. And like, it's all more explained. Then you're like, this is completely logical. It makes a hundred percent sense. But in a movie, you're just sort of like, what? Like she is this much in love with this guy all of a sudden. Yeah. And yet I love it. I I I completely believe it. And I, I also like how it plays out in a way. And I don't know if this is the way everybody feels about it, but you don't even really feel like Mikhail is doing anything wrong or really being like a bad guy here he just more seems like oblivious yeah which i think is just part of that character yeah which is what led to his initial divorce it will and (laughs) well yeah divorce and his whole lawsuit thing is like he was just oblivious to what was going on yeah well he wasn't oblivious for the lawsuit he was tricked and he fell for it all right because he wanted venerstrom and then he was handed him on what he thought was a silver platter but it was a setup yeah yeah but the fact that he couldn't have any foresight there that's true, but yeah. who would ever think that that would be possible? Yeah, okay. But anyway, yeah, he entered into this like very casual relationship with Erica Berger. We don't really know what his long-term romantic plans would be. It doesn't seem like he cares that she's not going to get a divorce. He seems good with it. He takes up a sexual relationship with Lisbeth. We see them fuck several times. Yeah. And she seems pretty into it, but... It's hard to get a read on her emotionally. And this little sequence here at the end of the film is like her lowering her guard in a way where the audience can finally connect with her emotionally. She has these feelings for him. She has this old picture of Mikhail. He's actually with Erica in the picture, which is kind of weird. Odd, yeah. Although but I guess that's all she has. The material from when she was trailing him. Elizabeth buys Mikhail an expensive Christmas gift. It's this leather jacket he used to own when he was younger. She brings it to the Millennium offices to give to him, but then she sees him walking out of the building arm-in-arm with Erica. They don't actually kiss or anything. He's just got his arm around her, and then they sort of like happily get off into this taxi together. (laughs) I'm laughing because it's so insane. She just then immediately turns around, and there's a dumpster right there, and she just throws the gift (laughs) into the dumpster hops onto her motorcycle and just drives in the opposite direction and then the credits just <laughs> you're like what the fuck 
I know, it is a great Such ending. Such a gut punch of an ending where right. you're like, Jesus. And the fact that they never finished this trilogy and this movie just stands on its own with that bizarre, somber ending is kind of awesome. I know. I feel like the more the years go on, I love it even more. Yeah, the only thing I can say is that when she shows up to see her old ward, right. or no, she's the ward, her yes, old yes, guardian, right. she says, hey, 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 hey. That's uh-huh. like her greeting okay. when she shows up. Yeah. And she does do that to Mikhail after she comes back from the archives when he's actually up at Martin's. Right. She goes into the cabin and says, hey, hey, in that same tone of voice. Yeah. And so I, I was like, is that like her tell that she's like... Like trusting someone yeah. or, or in the presence of company she enjoys? I don't know, but... She actually reveals to this dude that she I basically likes It's Mikhail. such a nuanced performance from Mara that when you watch her facial expressions, you do kind of see her thawing like her frozen personality of like keeping people at a distance like she's warming to this person in a way that he doesn't understand is anything significant because he doesn't really know her yeah he he doesn't have the backstory here but it's almost kind of funny his oblivious (laughs) just presence of this just throw it right in the trash yeah (laughs) see ya (laughs) yeah and i think like the next book opens where she's like on some island or something she's had to leave the whole country and she doesn't talk to him for like a long period of time. And he does. And he's clueless as to why. Oh yeah. Right. He doesn't know what the fuck is going on. He's like, where have you gone? Like, why, why aren't we talking anymore? And she's put that barrier back up. And I honestly don't remember how the books end or yeah. what happens. Does with it, their relationship do you know if, if a relationship continues between those two at all? Doesn't I don't really remember it happening like that, but I, I don't know. Yeah, We're not experts on this series of books. This is not a book podcast, That's even right. though sometimes I do interject with the book stuff. Thankfully, I read this book so long ago that I couldn't keep that it saying yeah. Dude, what happened in the book. If this was one of those episodes yeah, where you were like, now this is a little bit different than how they frame it <laughs> in up in this the book. Scene, yeah. <laughs> Because this would have been like an eight-hour podcast. Yeah, and it was long enough as is, we think. a a marathon. Our friend Brian for the listener request. We have another listener request coming next week. We also have one lined up in March. If you have one, you can tweet at the show, at GreatestPod. We're not going to do recommendations this week. This episode's long enough. Really? But I will say that we have both joined each of us individually. I don't know. What's your name on there? Matt Crosby. Okay, we. Did you want the listeners to know that? It's okay. <laughs> I think we've said your last name. Before. Yeah, I'd say so. So we've both joined Letterboxd. It's an app that you can download on your phone. It's a website. It's a social media platform for movie lovers to track the movies they see, give them ratings, star ratings. You can write reviews if you want. You don't have to. I've written reviews for a few of the movies that I've added. I look at it as just a situation to track what I've watched going forward. I think that's how most people do it, although I think you're free to go back and review anything you want. It's yeah. not like anyone's There's making no rules. Right. some sort of standard. But yeah, it's you can follow each other. I would love for our listeners to join Letterboxd. We can form an Ask Clown community. Oh, yeah. I think anybody that loves movies we should all gather. Do it. Yeah. It's a fun way to track what movies you watch over any given amount of time like a year or whatever and you can see what your friends think of movies you know see what star ratings or reviews they give you can like people's reviews you can comment on them stuff like that i'm zach z-a-c-h 1983 and matt is matt crosby on letterboxd we don't even follow each other yet this is no i haven't figured that out yeah 
Yeah, I just signed up yesterday, and Matt is still in the process of creating his account. <laughs> There's some early requirements that I haven't even hit yet. Yeah, I think you have to like verify your email or something. I don't know. It's a whole thing. But yeah. it's just like anything else when I you're like signing it. up for Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever. It's the same thing, except like, it's all movie-centric. Right. I, I do like the idea of it. I have this obsession with gamifying anything I do. Like the idea of making it a collection or something. Like you're at, you're building something. Yeah, and I think when you first start, you're like, okay, I, I'm putting down this movie I watched today, and here's a movie I'm watching tomorrow, and blah, 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 whatever. And you're kind of like, what's the point? But then the longer you do it, oh yeah, you're like, holy shit, I've watched 400 movies in a month or something. <laughs> you know, like some crazy thing. And it almost makes you It organizes sad. your thoughts on them, your ratings and everything. It's, it gives you a little bit of regret that you just didn't have this for like all the movies we were going to see. In I know. Theaters. I watched 132 Criterion Blu-rays in one month, basically. <laughs> and it's like, why wasn't I doing this then? I don't know. It's, but it, it does give you something to cling on to for, I don't know, keep living. Yeah. So we'll mention Letterboxd in the upcoming episodes as well. So thank you for listening. Thanks for the listener request. Thanks for the feedback on Apple Podcasts. We really enjoy doing this show. All right, anyway, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. certainly hope you'll die soon. <laughs>